reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Thanks to the OV. I used to move snowflakes by the OZ. I guess even back then you can call me CEO on the ROC. Ho. Fresh out the frying pan into the fire. I'll be the music man's number one supplier. Flying in a piece of paper bearing my name. Got the hottest chick in the game wearing my chain. That's right, Ho. What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Yamato Like a T.I.S. podcast with your host, yours truly, Jai Shields, here on this Wednesday, August the 30th, the year 2023. Lots to do, lots to discuss as we close up and close out the month of August and flip the calendar and our minds and the sports calendar to the month of September, of course, week one, uh, the kickoff game between the Lions and the Chiefs, uh, two weeks from tomorrow, or no, wait, do I have that read right? No, it's actually a week from tomorrow, I apologize, the Sunday, I was thinking because the Sunday was a week, was two weeks removed from this past Sunday, but the kickoff game is now a week removed from uh, tomorrow, coming up on Thursday uh, the final day of August, uh, August 31st, but lots to discuss now until then. Uh, my Baltimore Orioles are certainly a hot topic of conversation. We'll get into them. The Seattle Mariners and the, and them just keeping the pressure on the Astros and the Rangers, respectively, both whom have uh, the Rangers have been in free fall and the Astros haven't been the same since about the first uh, two weeks of the, of the beginning of this month. They're, the Manners, rather, rather, though, they're certainly taking advantage of the opportunity given to them for them to snatch the uh, two seed and the, uh, and the best, and excuse me, and the uh, first place uh, uh, positioning, first place position in the American League West. We'll get into them. Uh, Pete Alonzo likely to be traded this winter. Uh, Aaron Boone likely to return. Give you a little bit of New York baseball uh, coming up later in the program as well. Steven Strasburg retires. We'll mention him and talk about him for a couple of for a few minutes. And because I did not have the opportunity to do it because I wasn't doing any shows back in the month of May when the schedule was released. Uh, and next week is going to be a lot of week one preview, season preview. Got some guests lined up for you. Uh, so I will certainly do the uh, 2023 uh, season. It's due justice, as I always strive to and uh, attempt to. But we will have, of course, uh, lots of guests. Uh, Mike Babchick, yes, he of the uh, the Morning Men uh, the the main man of the Morning Men with our, our buddy Evan Cohen on to uh, on to other pastures that of the ESPN Radio Variety and by the way he had a happy birthday uh, on uh, Tuesday so we certainly wish uh, Evan Cohen if you did not listen to him way back uh, three summers ago in 2020 do yourself a favor and listen to uh, the great Evan Cohen who did a phenomenal job for us but we will have uh, his uh, partner in crime of uh, Sirius XM uh, Mike Babchick Mike Babchick he will be on the program coming up next week to uh, we'll talk about uh, his, you know, talk about of course Mike's life, his uh, role and career at Sirius, uh, you know the, the new era of uh, Morning Men uh, coming up or actually it started last week the new era of Morning Men. Uh, also get into uh, the Yankees and his New York Jets with Aaron Rodgers 
of course, being the uh, talk of the football world uh, all throughout the spring and summer leading up into week one, which is just around the corners. But I say all that to say is that because I once we hit the ground running, you know, where will there be time? And quite frankly, why would you care about me doing a doing a uh, a mass uh, a mass of uh, monologue or diatribe on the NFL season schedule when the games have already begun. So I say all that to say is that I will finally, and I promised you back in June, I said in July, I'd get to now here in August, I will get to it. I will break down, not necessarily go team by team with the schedule like I normally would do in May, but I will get, I will, I do have a couple of things I want to get off my chest with the schedule. And the first of which, why is the kickoff game Lions and Chiefs? Why is the Dolphins and Chiefs game in Germany instead of at Arrowhead? And why on week two do, are the Bengals and the Ravens buried in the one o'clock window while the Sunday night game uh, that week is of the likes of, and I, just, and I wrote it down uh, here so I won't forget, and the week two Sunday night game that week is Dolphins-Patriots. And one of the two Monday night side-by-side double dips the following night, one of the two games is Saints and Panthers. So I got plenty to say about that and sound off on the 2023 NFL uh, season schedule. I get to that a little bit later on in the show. And also uh, Matthew Stafford's wife uh, feels the need to to showcase to the world and the sports world alike of how important she thinks she is by feeling the need to air out uh, her uh, her husband's uh, dirty laundry concerning his work and him trying to uh, bond with I mean Matt, Matt, these Matthew Stafford was in was in college you know after two after two thousand and f- after the birth of Twitter and during the rise of the internet and now all of a sudden Matthew Stafford is Tom Brady 45 46 years of age damn near in his 50s you know a Gen Xer that has to bond with Gen Z I got a lot to say about that so stay tuned I'll get to that a little bit later on the program where we'll begin is with my uh, Baltimore Orioles uh this and I'm recording this of course immediately after their uh, ten to five loss when he had an opportunity and had a four nothing lead, and a prime opportunity to uh, really really disgrace the Chicago White Sox and get a sweep, and uh, head and fly into um, Phoenix with the off day tomorrow and head into Phoenix with a uh, with a seven and two homestand and riding a, and riding a hot three game win streak. I get the why Kyle Gibson had other ideas coming up later on, but uh, I will work from the beginning of the home stand up to where up to where it is right now at the end of it, uh, as the teams get showered up and ready to hop on a plane to head to Phoenix. Um, first off, the way that they had this series against uh, the Blue Jays, which we already discussed on Friday, you know, not much more I can say about that. They've beaten the piss out of the Blue Jays all season long. Uh, they're the the back end of last week was no, or last week, excuse me, I should say was no different. Uh, so I'm not surprised. I'm proud of the, of, uh, this team's effort against the Blue Jays, especially knowing that the Blue Jays 
essentially were the team that stood between them and making the playoffs last year. Uh, so it makes my heart happy that it went out there and took care of Toronto. I discussed that last week. Uh, turn back the clock since our last show on uh, Friday, and that's with the Rockies series, man. I tell you something, the Orioles, they, they, they do not quit. Any single time you think that, you know, they have an off night, they have an off night, you know, what are they doing? They're out the lunch, you know, the piss poor at bats, not working a count, they're not working up the, uh, the pitcher's pitch count, uh, you know, what are we doing? This is the Rockies, this is the A's, this is the, you know, the, 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 White Sox, the Roy, any bad team in the sport you can think you can think of, uh, and then all of a sudden here comes Gunnar Henderson, who, who, ladies and gentlemen, is just absolutely running away, running away and hiding, with the American League Rookie of the Year award, as he had a go-ahead two-run home run over the right, over that tall white right tall right field wall, on Friday night, which gave the Orioles. A uh, which gave the Orioles a one-run lead heading into the ninth inning. Gunnar Henderson, let me just read you his numbers right quick. In a 5-4 victory over the Colorado Rockies, in which uh, in which the starting pitcher for Baltimore uh, a couple nights ago, Cole Irvin. I mean, if you can't get the Colorado Rockies out, and it's similar, and I have a similar point when it comes to Gibson, which I will, of course, get to the aforementioned uh, coming up in a little bit. But if you're Cole Irvin, I, and I've said this before with uh, when Dean Kramer had his rough outing in San Diego, I'm not interested how deep you go into a game, okay? If you go six innings, five and two-thirds, six and two-thirds, I'm not interested. If, you, if your hits and runs column is, is about a, a, a digit or two or three, uh, either at below or above your or not the three, but if you ha- but if I look at your hin- hits and runs column and I see six hits, four runs, all of them earned, and then I see the wa- and then I see a walk which doesn't which doesn't help matters either. I don't care how many how many innings you go into a game. Okay, you can have you can go into six innings with a low pitch count and still get batted around the ballpark. All that proves to me is that it, although the hitters aren't working, the counter aren't driving up your pitch count and aren't taking a lot of walks. What it does tell me is that within the first two three pitches of an at bat, specifically in the first pitch swinging, they hit they're bailing the ball and they're finding green grass or they're finding holes in the infield and they're punching it through for base hits. That's what that's what that tells me. So. Six innings, yeah, he saved the bullpen great, but and kept the Orioles in the game. So if you want to give him a little trophy, a little trophy for that, you know, be my guest. But you're Cole Irvin from the Oakland A's, Oakland A's reject, uh, going up against the Colorado Rockies, the hapless baseball team that they are, and you can't find a way to neutralize the the what you know a, you know a respectable. Put it night to put it nicely, but not great Rockies offense. I mean, they are in last place for a reason, folks. I mean, let's be, let's be, let's be. Come on, let's 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 call a spade a spade here. That that's not that does not scream, you know, worthiness to be on the Orioles postseason roster in a month's time. I just it's just all this to it, but it didn't matter because Gunnar Henderson came up. 
in the bottom of the eighth inning and hit a, a two-run home run to give the Orioles a 5-4 lead. And let me read you Gunnar Henderson's stats uh, this season, man, because he is now his batting average does not blow you out of the water, but he has an 809 OPS. He's got 22 home runs, 65 RBIs. If at this rate, he's probably going to flirt with about 30 home runs. I think it's fair enough to say with a month to go in the season, uh, essentially, because they have uh, the 31st off with a month to go in the season. I think it's fair to say that Gunner. I think he'll hit 30. He has he has to hit eight more home runs to get to 30. I think he'll do that. And with 65, I mean, Gunn's going to finish the season with about 30 home runs and about between 77 to maybe 9 to about from 77 to 87 RBIs. So he's going to finish the season most likely with 30 home runs between 77 to uh, 87 RBIs, if not more. And he's got a solid OPS 809. In his last seven games, he's hitting th- he's hitting 308 with an on base percentage of 367. With uh, he's eight for his he's eight for 26, four RBIs. He's worked three walks, stolen two bases. In the last 15 games, he's hitting 355 with uh, 20 22 out of 62 to do the math. Then uh, that's three home runs, 13 RBIs. He's drawn four walks and stolen three bases with a slugging percentage of 613 and an on-base percentage of 397. I mean, he is having, again, his batting average doesn't blow you out of the water because, and I think that's in large part because of the fact that it took him so long for him to uh, catch fire and get hot. You know, April and Ju- April, especially April, was not kind of Gunnar Henderson. Uh, but essentially, since the month, since the calendar flipped from May to June, he's been on. He's been a complete uh, firecracker among the top and the middle of the Orioles lineup. And the one thing that you know that keeps him from having the 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 uh, aesthetically pleasing, you know, hitting 280, 290 something with uh, you know, and then of course with the solid numbers with the, with the OPS, the on base percentage, the slugging, the home runs, the RBIs, and this, that, and the third is because of a rough month and a half, two months that he had, in which Gunnar Henderson really, really, really struggled. But it's clearly re- ever since that the seasons flipped from spring to summer, there has not been a problem for him. So he hit the two-run home run to give the Orioles a 5-4 lead on a Friday night. And then it set up a situation for Felix Batista to come into the game uh, trying to lock down yet another uh, – trying to lock down another save in the Amer- to uh, keep him on top of the American League leaderboard in saves. And then, of course, with the you – know, on a on a two and – I believe it was a two-and-one count. And he ended up throwing a strike to even the count up at 2-2. Felix Batista, his follow, he had an awkward follow through, and uh, had an he had an awkward follow through, and uh, the Brandon Hyde and Ebel, the uh, head athletic trainer, came out to check on Batista. It would have been his thirty, trying to get his thirty fourth season on Friday night, and uh, and he had a, he had an awkward follow through. You could tell by the way he landed. What I thought, you know, that he hurt his leg. I know that, you know, last season he had some knee problems. Was it his knee? Anything wrong with his leg? Did he sprain an ankle? You know, what was the what was the going to be? What was the problem with Felix? And then they do some examinations. They talk to him, and all of a sudden they take him out of the game. And it's like all of the energy 
that was created by Gunnar Henderson's go-ahead home run a half inning before. Real-time speaking, probably no more than 20 minutes of you know in real lifetime after Gunnar Henderson hit the home run. The emotions in that ballpark, and even in those those of us Orioles fans that were watching the game on television, it was almost like Gunnar Henderson didn't even hit the home run, that the Orioles weren't even winning, that they weren't even too well tell there wasn't even two strikes. All we need was one more strike and we lock up and, and we lock up uh what was our eighty first or second let me go back and look. I believe that was our eighty first victory of the season. Let me double check to be positive and our eightieth win. Eightieth win. To lock up our eightieth win of the season. Uh, the Saturday was the 81st, but our 80th win of the season, and the emotions amongst the Euros fan base was like, what does it matter anyway? Because our best closer, arguably, you could you could certainly make the argument. I know I can, that our M, that our MV that our MVP of this specific team for this specific year, this specific season. You know he might not. We might we might not see him for the rest of the season. On top of him having to miss a huge chunk, if not all of 2024, because it, because he has an elbow injury. So when he came out of the game, man, I was like, you got to be kidding me, because, and we know that the or and again, it's no concern about you know, about me not having. Faith that the Orioles or bullpen, you know, Cano, who looks like he, who has been on point uh, for the better part of the last uh, few weeks now. Um, Cnel Perez all of a sudden has found his 2022 form again. Let's hope it stays that way. They're going to have reinforcements to help the bullpen, whether it be uh, calling up Tyler Wells, who's now on a on a uh, innings limit to uh, to keep his innings under control by putting him. Uh, by putting him in the bullpen once they bring him back up from AAA. John Means is scheduled to be back very, very soon, of course. You know if the Orioles would, would appreciate his help, uh, you know, to start games. But you figure, you know, once it gets around postseason time, they're going to kind of transfer him to be in the bullpen so he can be a reliable arm in October. Uh, whether, especially, I would imagine, and long, and long middle relief as well to cross that bridge in the in the fifth and sixth inning, and even some of the seventh when, uh, when the Perez's and the, and the Brian Bakers and the Shintaro Fujinami's of the world are unavailable, uh, for whatever reason, and the and the Logan and the uh, Logan Webbs and the DL Halls, but um, so that's not any that's not the that's wasn't the first thing that crossed my head in terms of like panicking oh god now our bullpen's trash no no no. my concern was that and it's pretty much you know if you if you're a fan of a team that has an unreal talent good team but there's one player that sticks it like a sore thumb because of how unbelievably jaw-dropping dominant they are and good at their job i.e you know, in football, you know, Mahomes, Burrow, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, uh, Lamar Jackson, basketball, Steph Curry, LeBron, uh, you know, baseball, Shohei Otani on a good team, 
Judge with the Yankees, perfect example. Uh, you get the when you have that one guy, that one guy that's that gives you confidence on a night, on a night in night out basis, that makes you say, "We're going to win tonight. We're going to beat Team X because this guy is on our is on our team is on our roster because he's on our team and he's that damn good at his job that when he's in, when the spotlight is on him and he and and the moment." And and the and the game is in his hands. Everything slows down, and the game has to adjust to his play, not the other way around. Batista is like that with the Orioles, and that's how that's how excellent, that's how dominant of a closer he's been all all season long. Yes, he's had his hiccups here and there, but like I've said on the show a thousand times, you know the hitters are too good. You leave a hundred mile an hour when you can't find the strike zone. And you place a hundred mile an hour fastball down the heart of the plate to the likes of the Kyle Tuckers and Aaron Judges of the world. They're going to hit the ball out of the ballpark because a if they make if 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 their hands are quick enough where they can make contact on that pitch, they're going to hit it with such force and such return velocity that the ball has no place but to go out of the ballpark. And then b you know these guys are major league baseball players too. In the year twenty twenty three. They get paid, and they sort of have to learn and train themselves on how to hit pitches that fast. But anyway, he is that pitcher that you say, he is that player on that team that says, our chances of winning, especially in tight games, in one-run games, in the, in the ninth, in the 10th inning, you know, 10, 11, 12th innings, extra innings, is because Felix Batista is the closer for the Baltimore Orioles. Because he's the closer, he his splitter does this, his fastball does this, he strikes out batters ad in, ad infinitum. He is a, he's six foot he's six foot eight. It's hard to read the ball out of his hands. The 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 level of uh, uh, his high release point with his height, and then the ball uh, sloping away and does downhill. It's hard to hit. That's that was the whole reason of why us Orioles fans were about the you know, didn't know whether to laugh or cry on Friday night when he you know, at the end of it when the game obviously was over, you know, laugh and be happy because we won our eightieth game of the season and found another way to win in heroic fashion with Gunnar Henderson's two run blast and then cry because it's like our totality of a season could be forever changed like that because because we're fearing the worst thing in it, Batista might not pitch for the remainder of the season, which very may which very well could be the case, unfortunately. And then the thing, and then that insult, the injury, is that you won't have him next year either. So even inside a circumstance where the bullpen does does tremendously well in his absence, they have a great September. They're untouchable in October, and the Orioles, you know, do what I've always dreamed of them doing, and that's winning a championship. Uh, coming up this fall, you head into 2024 opening day, and then it's and you know they, when it comes time for them to announce the uh, roster, when it's time for them to jog down the orange carpet, you, you, they call Phyllis Batista's name, and you say to yourself, if you weren't paying too much attention during spring training or it slipped your mind, you say, oh yeah, that's right, Batista, you know he he's still hurt, he's still recovering from Tommy John, we still you know we won't see him, you know for the majority of this season. And, and and then that's on top of the fact that the Orioles, you know, their left-handed ace, you know, the 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 whole goal and the ideal situation for the Orioles 
uh, I, you know, when they punt, when they were tanking and when they were uh, stat and they were uh, uh, padding their uh, their uh, farm system, starting pitching stock was that we're going to have Grayson Rodriguez and John Means be the one A and be the one A and one B among the top of the rotation. Great, we're going to have Grayson. Grayson's going to bring the heat. And John Means is, is going to add a little bit of finesse with his game. Means the means the left hander. Rodriguez is the right hander. And now you and now you know we finally get Means back, but it's in the final month of the regular season. And the way Kyle Gibson pitched this afternoon, and having and us having no choice but to still employ Cole Irvin in August of twenty twenty three. We would, this team would would love and would desperately need means to be a part of the road to be a part of this uh, team's rotation heading down the final month of the season heading into heading into October. We we, we would love it'd be the ideal scenario for us, but because of his time, but because of the timeline of his injury, and you can't you know it wouldn't be fair to him, and you'd be setting. Him up to fail and send him up to get re-injured again. They can't possibly say, "Here, John, here's the here's the ball, uh, here's the ball, game three. You know, go the distance, go get him, and and go the distance for John Means in October. You know, if he wants to uh, seven and two thirds, eight eight innings of so, of solid baseball, but he throws 103, 103 pitches and his arm falls off and is right back to square. Then we gonna do so." It is what it is. The Orioles, you know, uh, so far so good. You know, they've been able to manage without him, albeit against inferior opponents in Colorado and the White Sox where the rubber meets the road with them is when they have that uh, seven-game stretch or excuse me, that eight-game No, that's, yes, I had it right the first time. That seven-game stretch coming up where they play Tampa Bay and Houston uh, and the Orioles have a one-run lead. That will be the the true test whether or not the and that then and that won't we won't see that uh, as Birdland until the middle of uh, September the fourteenth through the twentieth. Uh, but uh, that will be the true test for the Orioles bullpen of how well they can produce uh, without their uh, without their reliever of the year uh, candidate in Batista. But. It certainly sucks, you know. The, the the locker room certainly loves him. Obviously, fan base there. You can't find anybody, any unless you're one. Unless you're that dope in Seattle that got all bent out of shape because uh, because of the whole uh, King's King Felix nickname thing. One of the most asinine, uh, fake, petty internet beefs I've ever seen in my freaking life. But you you can't find not a broad not an Orioles broadcaster. A media member that covers the Orioles, an Orioles player, coach, or fan that has a negative thing to say about Felix Batista. You won't be you won't be able to find one. He is a you know people tell him all the people say all the time how much he's a gentle giant, nicest guy in the world. I told you guys how he was crying his eyeballs out when he blew the save and gave up the home run to Kyle Tucker. He came into he went into the dugout you know. Uh, after that top of the ninth inning in the bottom half and, cry, and cried his poor eyeballs out, uh, so you know that he cares. You know he wants to uh, he wants to put forth the best effort and wants ever and you know and pitches and performs uh, every game. And we've seen it this season. 
in Seattle where they've needed him in extra innings. Uh, in Toronto where they've needed him for four or five uh, out saves and also in extra inning games. We've seen it. Uh, we've seen it here. We've seen it. Um, we've seen it many a times. Uh, you go back in the schedule. You go and you look at their series. Um, their series in Tampa Bay where they needed a little, a little bit extra out of Felix Batista. He gave it to him. So this is the guy that goes out there every single time his number is called upon. He pitches and he performs in every game like it's his last. And for a and for his season uh, to best you know best case scenario if you know we don't see him for a good month and then we come for to be on the optimistic side I should say for that would be a better word choice for the op, on the optimistic side of things for us not to see him for a month and for his season to be uh, to be in limbo his twenty twenty three season to be in limbo. Stings, stings, and it sucks. And then it also, you know, as an Orioles fan, the added stress of, oh, you know, one run lead. All we got to, you know, Batista, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good night. We got to win, you know. And then you just, I don't know, in the back of my mind, and I'm pretty sure in the back of a lot of Orioles' minds, they're going to have, the game's either going to be tied or they're going to have a one run lead in a game that either they have to have in September or a playoff game. And us Orioles fans are going to be cussing underneath our breath saying, why, oh, why, you know, did Felix Batista, why, oh, why was Felix Batista's UCL, uh, uh, you know, break down, break down on him and break down on us? Because if there's ever a situation where we only need one man and there's only one specific man only out of that bullpen that we need right here, right now to get the job done, get these three outs, we can either keep the game alive and move on into the next extra frame or win the game or lock this puppy down and win the game for us, it's Felix Batista. And you just know, at least that's how I think, you just know that that opportunity is going to come soon, you know, is, is going to come and it's, and, it's, and that opportunity is uh, peaking down down the bend. You just know it. Because there, because there are, have been plenty of game, tight, close games this season for the Orioles where... You thank God when the, you know when the game is over before you put your head to pillow at night that Felix Batista is, is pitching for the Baltimore Orioles because there have been some games and some moments where if we didn't have Felix Batista on the team, I don't know what we, I don't know, you know what we would have done. A lot of a lot of games that 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 we win directly because Batista's the closer. And to have that secret weapon, you know, gone where it's like, yeah, okay, you know, we go up against a team that, you know, is offense maybe slightly better, slightly more consistent in ours, or going up against a team that has a decent bullpen and plays well with the lead, uh, or has a solid starting rotation. You know, the trump card with the Orioles up until Friday night was. Yeah, but all it takes is for a couple things to go our way, and then once we have the lead after seven, or after eight, good morning, good afternoon, good night, it's mountain time. And now that possibility, at least for the moment, to be optimistic about it, is not there anymore, which stinks, and it sucks. So, I only hope for him and for this team and this season 
that Batista that it's more of a that's more of an inflammation or a sprain thing instead of a torn tissue because for because for kickers you know that means that we be able, that he won't be gone for 2024 which I understand that you that you know and everybody's consumed with the here and now with the 2023 season but this team still regardless of how this season ends has an opportunity to uh, win a championship next season. And the last thing we can afford to see the forest through the trees, if I may, talking about 24, is not having Batista for a lot of the 24 season. Because And, and I understand this team is built different and built, uh, and, uh, built better and is better and is different than the New York Mets. But you saw how their season went to hell when they lost their uh they, when they lost their uh, silver bullet in the back end of their bullpen with uh, Edwin Diaz back in March. So I'm just saying, you know, you, it, the 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 sooner we get Batista back, uh, the better off me and a lot of Warriors fans are going to feel to be quite to be quite candid with you. But um. Hopefully he's not going. Uh, he's not going. Best case scenario for the remainder of the season. Hopefully we get him back. You know, sometime in the last couple of weeks of September, or, or uh, you know, or at the beginning of the postseason in October, we get the mountain back and uh, he can get back to uh, mowing mowing them up and uh, sewing them down in terms of uh, the opposition's uh, lineups with the uh, leads or in tie games uh, in the ninth inning or later because he, I tell you something right now, I don't think he's, I think we, me personally, the best relief pitcher not named Mariano Rivera that I ever saw was Zach Britton. And I don't think he's on, he is on that ridiculous, uh, he's, he's up there, but I don't think he's better than Zach Britton, but, I, I, let me tell you something right now. When you're a good team ha- and your starting rotation is not the greatest, there's nothing like having, you know, essentially a, a guy that guarantees victories that throws 100 miles an hour or thereabouts and also has a deadly breaking pitch that that throws batters off the scent like crazy, uh, you know, that that is just simply the best at his craft out of any of his peers in the sport. So we hope uh, Felix Batista gets back and we wish him a speedy recovery. Orioles cannot get the job done, though, on set on a Sunday. Uh, Gunnar Henderson's era after the team clawed back and fought back. Ryan O'Hearn hit a pinch hit uh, game-tying uh, home run in the bottom of the eighth inning, and Gunnar Henderson's era allowed the Rockies to take the lead after their bullpen had blown a six consecutive games in a row dating back to the series prior to when they played us last weekend against Tampa Bay. Uh, but they fought, but they were able to uh, nail it down, and they uh, escaped out of Baltimore without getting swept on Sunday. And the Orioles lost on Sunday afternoon. Get this. The Orioles had won. 14 consecutive Sunday games until this past Sunday on the uh, 27th. 14 consecutive Sunday games. The last Orioles loss on a Sunday prior to the one against Milwaukee on the 27th, you have to go all the way back to Mother's Day against the Pirates. The last time the Orioles lost a game on a Sunday. 
which for a team that struggled mightily on Sundays last year, posting an 11-16 record, uh, which also was another reason for their uh, demise and why they didn't make the playoffs last year. For them to go 14 straight weeks without a loss on a, on a specific day of the week, a lot of them being day games and a handful of them day games after night games, it's pretty damn impressive. Uh, and they are now 17-5. and five. On Sundays this season, seventeen to five. Matter of fact, let me uh, take the time right now and read off to you uh, the losses that they've had on Sundays, outside of the one they had on uh, on Mother's Day and uh, on Sunday. So let me see if I can find the other uh, three losses, which was the extra innings loss against Atlanta, three to two on the uh, Peacock game. And they lost to the Yankees uh, on Easter Sunday. And they lost to the Red Sox, uh, third game of the season on uh, April the 2nd. And the Orioles at home this season have lost one, two, three home Sunday games. But the Orioles, and let's see if they can keep this streak alive against Arizona uh, coming up, and then uh, and they only have five Sunday uh, games left, two of them being at home against Tampa and Boston. But let's see if they can keep their road Sunday winning streak alive uh, uh, with this upcoming road trip against Arizona this weekend and then Boston uh, the, week, the weekend of week one on September the 10th. The Orioles have not lost a home, have not lost a road. Uh, Sunday game since that aforementioned extra inning, thrilling extra innings game against the Braves on uh, May the seventh, which they lost with a final score of uh, three to two. Uh, as we move things along with the Orioles, Grace Rodriguez, man, let me tell you something right now. I gave I gave him his flowers, and I have been over the better over the better part of the last uh, couple of shows when we've talked the Orioles baseball, the on the field product that is. But let me tell you something: since July 18th, Grace Rodriguez and four and two thirds innings of work has got an ERA of 2.32, a WHIP below zero, a WHIP excuse me below .90, 37 strikeouts and five quality starts. 71, I mean, that is that is absolutely sensational. And his start the other night against the Chicago White Sox, man. Let me tell you something right now. What what a job by Grayson Rodriguez. Let me read you uh, his, uh, let me read you his stat line for you right quick on, uh, this was on uh, Monday Night in our nine nothing in our nine nothing victory, he's now improved his record to four and three. He went six innings, gave up one lousy hit, walked the walked one batter, struck out six. I understand the White Sox, the White Sox are a feeble baseball team, but the consistency that I've seen from Grayson with his 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 command is a complete one eighty to the way it was. Back in May and early June, he a complete 180 with his com- in April and uh, with April and in the month he didn't not in June but in April and May a complete 180 with his command since he's been back uh, back in when they called him back up back uh, last month in July complete 180 with his command his fastball is borderline is you know 
he has goes through stretches where his fastball is borderline unhittable. Uh, his he's got good stuff with his breaking pitches, knowing how to paint the corner, uh, triggering and uh, and targeting a hitter's uh, weak spots in the zone. A lot of swing and misses. Locks up guys. For, you know, lock keeps guys. You know, on the, on their back foot, uh, locking them up. You know, when he's ahead in the count. His walks are down. His home runs are louder down. Uh, just uh, sensational, and he's stri- and he's striking out a lot of batters now. What and we knew that he could do that because we he did produce a lot of strikeouts in his first stint up here at the beginning of the season. But since he's been back, it's been the strikeouts, and then he's found a way to limit the damage, limiting hard hit balls. Uh, a lot, you know, the guys are not barreling him, barreling him up as much now. Uh, in the last month plus, as they were back in the spring, uh, his uh, he's he's not walking the ballpark, which was which a big gripe that I had of him. Uh, he's not walking the ballpark, not giving up a lot of home runs, uh, producing quality pitches instead of trying to override and blow uh, 101, 99 mile an hour fastballs by guys is uh, by guys faces because th- these guys are too good. They're not gonna. They're not going to go for that once they uh, get hip to what uh, what the starting pitcher is trying to do. Uh, so he's he he's he's improved his game. He's in, he's improved his game and he stepped up uh, tremendously. And I cannot be more happier for him, more proud of him. I just hope he keeps it going, rides this hot wave that he's been on throughout the back end of July into August. Hopefully he keeps it up uh, in the month of uh, September. And if everything looks points to the right direction, Grayson Rodriguez, and I tweeted it out replying to somebody uh, earlier this week on Monday night. I said, uh, Grayson Rodriguez, if he keeps up the way he's going and keeps on uh, producing quality start after quality start after impressive start after impressive start to uh, keep the Orioles uh, even when their when their offense has bad nights, keeping them in the game and keeping the Orioles out in front when they do have good nights, he can put himself in a situation where come October postseason time, Rodriguez can make a name for himself and introduce himself uh, to the baseball world at mass. Uh, but one step at a time, don't put the carpet for the horse. He's got to have a damn good September. But uh, he's produced some. Excellent, excellent outings uh, for the Orioles o- over the sequence of the last uh, five weeks plus. So that's certainly uh, great to see. And the team, you know, mentally tough as hell. They fought back against uh, they fought back against the Blue Jays last week. They fought back against the Rockies on a Friday night with uh, Gunners two run home run. They were able to stay within with within a run. Excuse me, a, a run or two. They keep the uh, Orioles in the game with Cole Irvin being out the lunch on Friday night. Offense had timely hitting in the latter innings against the Rockies on Saturday night. Uh, of course, they've done an excellent job. Uh, and then, of course, on uh, and then they head into last night's game. You know, with the score uh, tied at uh, at uh, at one apiece, and they head in with their final two at bats in the seventh and eighth inning. And they find a way to score uh, seven runs, and they find a way to score uh, seven runs in their final uh, two at bats to uh, put themselves out in front, and then 
coast and put the game on cruise control and put the game on ice. They have eight, they got won their 80th game, of course, on a Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday, the 26th. They clinched a 500 season or better for the second straight season with their win on Monday night. They clinched, uh, they clinched their, uh, 80, no, excuse me. They won their, uh, no, do I have that red right? They have 83 right now. They won the 83rd Tuesday, 82nd Monday, 81st. So they won their 80th on Friday, clinched a 500 record at bare minimum with their win on with their win on Saturday. 82 wins to give them a 505 winning percentage and better on uh, on Monday night, and then they uh, tied and matched, or I should say match would be a better word, matched their season win total from last season, from last year with their 83rd victory over the uh, White Sox on a Tuesday night. So they ha- already have eclipsed the 80 win, the 81 win, the 82 win, and, and are one win away where they were not able to get it uh, today. I get to that later on, but have an opportunity this weekend in Arizona to eclipse their win total from last season and put themselves in a situation where uh, the Orioles can have, you know, 90 wins by their next homestand. They have they have a nine game ro- they have a nine game road trip. They have eighty three wins. They put themselves in a situation where by the time they come where, where by the time they come home for their next upcoming homestand, uh, the weekend of uh, Friday September the eighth, they could already have ninety wins if they have an excellent uh, road trip against Air against Arizona, the hapless Angels, and the uh, Boston Red Sox back east. Uh, so we shall see uh, what uh, in, what install what uh, entails for the Orioles coming up uh, with this road trip uh, due ahead. Uh, and uh, there's something else that I wanted to talk about uh, to Dean Kramer. Let's not shy away from him and give him his flowers and his 41 and third innings, 2.61 ERA, 33 strikeouts, put together a string of quality uh, a string of quality starts in his own right. Here's a stat that I saw. Last night, that was quite interesting. That uh, that really puts into perspective how crazy good this Orioles team is, and how crazy good of a season that they've had uh, that they've had thus far. Do you know that the Orioles won? Let me read. Let me because you because I first read, it, I didn't believe it. The or the twenty twelve Orioles, a team that won. Over ninety, they won over ninety games. They came within a, a couple, a few games of winning the division. Do you know that they did not win their eighty third game until September seventeenth? The thing that really blew me away is the fourteen Orioles, which until this team eventually eclipses it, and it looks like all intents and purposes that they will. The best Orioles team of my lifetime, the greatest Orioles team of my lifetime, the 14 Orioles from nine years ago, they didn't win their 83rd game until September the 7th. That was a team that that was a team that won 96 that won 96 games, ran away and hid with it. This Orioles team's nip and tuck with the Rays for first place in the East. That 14 Orioles team ran away with their division and won 96 games. 
won 96, won 96 games, came within two games, excuse me, two wins rather, of the 14 Angels who won 98 and ended up getting the number one seed of the American League playoffs that year. That 14 Orioles team didn't win the 83rd game until September the 7th, and they won 96 games. 96. And if I recall, unlike this baseball season, that 2014 baseball season, if my memory serves me correctly, that season ended with, uh, I believe, about, what, two, three days to spare in the month of September? I believe that season ended on September the 28th or thereabouts. Let me see. Uh, yep, that's right. Just looked it up. Yep, that season began March 30th and ended on September 28th because, and the reason why I remember that is because the wild card game between the, uh, between, because the wild card game between the, uh, of course, that classic where, uh, Perez hit the, uh, walk-off base hit, that game, uh, was played in September. That game between the A's and the, uh, between the A's and the um, and the uh, and the Kansas City Royals, that game was played on that game was played on September the thirtieth. So I thought that was uh, so I thought that was very very interesting, uh, with uh, very very interesting uh, that the Orioles are somehow ahead of schedule. You know, winning their 83rd game on August the 29th, when the 2012 team, not so much, but the 2014 team, it really puts into perspective. And if you're, you know, a young Warriors fan like me, you, you know, you hold that 14 team in high regard because, unfortunately, it's the if you're of a certain age in your 20s, that's the greatest Orioles team you've ever seen in your life. That's the greatest Orioles team you've ever seen in your in your life. And then for you to put it into perspective of what this Orioles team has done, and they're not even a finished product yet. That's why I tweeted out that Brady gif of him, of when he did the ooh face, you know, leaning his head back, sitting on the bench. Uh, that you know that gif. That's why I tweeted tweeted that out because it was like it was like. I I could when I first came across it I could I couldn't believe it, but uh, I, I I could not could not believe it, but um, I'm just double checking to make sure that I uh, got the uh, got the um, Perez yeah that's right yeah double check I I thought it was Perez my memory serves me correctly that it was Perez that hit that that had the game winning hit. Against Oakland, I just wanted to double check and fact check myself uh, in the moment just to be sure. But that just, but to my main point, the Orioles fin sensational job. Now my problem uh, with my with the Orioles coming on uh, to the program today is with uh, is with Kyle Gibson and Kyle Gibson. I can appreciate his uh, his veteran leadership. I can appreciate, you know, that he meshes and he gels with the players in the locker room and that he's a good guy and a hell of a teammate and one of the very few people in the Orioles locker room that that has been on a playoff team once or twice in his career. But I'm I'm sorry. Kyle Gibson man has zero zero 
he has much business being on the Orioles' uh, postseason roster come this October as I do. I mean, listen to his last five starts. You ready? Let me let me let me let me uh, read them to you. Seven innings, four hits, three runs, a walk, nine strikeouts. Good. Following start, five and a third, 12, 12 hits, nine runs, two walks, four strikeouts. Following start, five innings, nine hits, four runs, no walks, six strikeouts. Start after that, this was against Toronto last week. Eight innings, best of the season, six hits, eight strikeouts, three runs, one walk. Today, four and a third, nine hits, seven runs given up. When his team was spotted a 4 nothing lead and the White Sox, the feeble, pathetic, embarrassing display of a baseball team that they were, looked like they were completely disinterested and lacked all accounts of giving a damn with the god-awful bottom of the first inning that they had. And for Kyle Gibson to walk into to step foot on the mound from the second inning on and display such pathetic horseshit is unforgivable and is despicable, grotesque, disgusting, offensive, and just egregious, to be quite quite honest with you. I get everybody has bad starts just that in the third. And that is not a game of perfection. But I just read you. But I just read you a stat line. If Kyle Gibson isn't look, if Kyle Gibson isn't Jim Palmer in one start, he looks like Dylan Bundy circa 2018-19. The next, I it just it can't it can't happen. Can't happen. I understand. And again, I am not pissed about the fact that they lost. I understand it's baseball one sixty two. I would I've loved for them to ha- get the sweep. And the fact that they scored four in the first and then essentially the offense took the rest of the day off. Am I thought about that? No. But at the end of the day, you would think a 4 nothing lead against the hapless White Sox that are among the basement in the AL comedy central of mid that it is, you would think that would be good enough. A 4 nothing, you th- four, not one nothing. a 4 nothing lead would be good enough. And in fairness, the offense has been hitting... You know, outside, you know, outside of, you know, outside of a couple of games here and there where they were spotted, but for the most part, team's been hitting the cover off the ball, hitting the hitting the cover off the ball. So I can't sit up here, you know, and 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 kill James McCann and get on Frazier and 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 and, and, and get on Westbrook. How get on Mateo? Although Mattel getting thrown out at first frustrated the piss out of me, you know the only reason why he's on this roster is for his base running and, and some some of the time he can't even do that right. And so again, what is he doing and what are we doing with him still being on the roster as the calendar flips to September here in this magical, fantastic 2023 season of high expectations? But in terms of what he did. To, I, I can't go up and down the Orioles lineup and rip them to shreds, you know, for getting outscored uh, 10 to 1 from innings 2 through 9 the rest of the game. But against the White Sox, 4 nothing should be good enough. 4 nothing should be good enough. It's close. I, I, I don't care who you are. And, again, like I've said, ad infinitum, in reaction and analysis of uh, 
Kyle Gibson's bad starts. He was not on the Phillies' postseason roster. I, th- I think he might have made one start. I think in the uh, in the Cardinals series and in the, in the uh, Cardinals series, and that was it. But you do not see Gibson pitch in the in the NLCS in the World Series. You didn't see him pitch for a reason. For a reason. I understand the Phillies have their own issues, and it seems like you know for for uh, for two straight seasons in a row, this team wakes up and realizes there's a baseball season once the calendar flips to late July, early August. But he wasn't on their postseason uh, roster for a reason. He wasn't. I mean, just be straightforward. Quite he wasn't. You do not see Kyle Gibson pitch against the Houston Astros for a World Series championship for a reason. For a reason. He pitched in two games. Pitched in two, he pitched in two. Actually, wait, he was uh, Pitched in two games, so I take that back. You did see him in the NLCS and World Series. You did. He got. Let me read you. Let me, let me read you his stat line. Uh, it, but even then, it was out of the bullpen. So even even in me, even in the uh, correction, courtesy of uh, Baseball Reference, even he came out of the bullpen. Furthest he went in the game was an inning in the third. Uh, in the NLC in the NLCS against uh, against San Diego, inning in the third, but he was on the roster all season long as a starter, and he wasn't a part of the postseason starting rotation for a reason. He didn't pitch against the Cardinals in a wild card series for a reason. He didn't pitch in the NLDS against the defending champion Atlanta Braves for a reason. He didn't start against the San Diego Padres for a reason. He didn't start against the Houston Astros for the World Series championship for a reason. Came out of the bullpen, but one appearance per series. For a reason. Phillies played more postseason games. I played more postseason games than anybody. Out of the 2022 playoff pool, so he had so the Phillies had more opportunities to get him into the game if they really wanted to, and they only chose to put him in twice, and that wasn't until the back end of their run in a championship series and in the World Series. Those weren't even starts; those were bullpen appearances, not long, not long. You know, for, come in fourth, fifth inning and bridge the gap to get to the eighth inning into the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. No, it's you have an inning. That inning goes well. Goes go. You go back out there, start the next inning, and then we'll see and we'll take it from there. But my point is that you do not see him pitch. You do not see him toe the rubber to begin a playoff game at all in any of the series for the Phillies last year for a reason, and producing a god awful stat line of four and a third, nine hits, and seven runs. When he was spotted a 4-0 lead to the hapless, disinterested, feeble Chicago White Sox at home, no less. I mean, come on. 
Come on. It's not good enough. And it's not just that one start. It was two starts ago, five innings, nine hits, four runs. It was the start at it was the start before that. He was knocked around, gave up nine runs on twelve on uh on twelve on twelve hits. It's not good enough. And we're too deep into the season. It's too late in the season. And Gibson, with all due respect to him, has been in the league too long for us to kind of turn the other cheek and be more understanding and forgiving of the of the up and down roller coaster he takes us on. He's inconsistent. A start or two here and there. He looks like he looks like Dave McNally. Start or two or three after the fact. He looks like Andrew Kashner. And when you're a team that's fighting off the Rays that are still on our ass for first place in the East, when you're trying to lock up the number one seed in the American League, when you're trying to make a push to not only make it into the playoffs, but do something with your appearance, and that's win a championship, that stat line of his last five starts, Kyle Gibson, seven points, or excuse me, a 6.75 ERA in that span, that's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it in August. It's not going to cut it in September. And it's damn skippy. He's not going to cut it in October. So, it's got to stop. Case closed. It's got to stop. And quite frankly, I don't care how he finishes up the season. His outing today, when the White Sox were just a complete mess, Cease couldn't get anybody out, the, the White Sox are dropping and throwing the ball over the ball field left and right. They can't run, they, they can't run the bases. They're, they're fundamentally unsound. The team, was, the team is a freaking disaster. Poorly coached, poorly managed Poorly roster, poorly put together by the now fired uh, Rick Hahn, the GM. It's it's a mess from top to bottom. And having the Orioles who kicked the piss out of them in back to back games, four and a third, nine hits, seven runs, is more damning because of who he gave it up. Who who he gave up those hits and runs to. On top of the fact that he had a four-run lead to boot, if they if they if we were up, you know, nine nothing, or twelve one, or twelve to two, or twelve three, eh, different thing. But the fact that he was given run support on the you know the Orioles first turn that bet, they gave him four runs, and if, and the and just. The notion that, he, that that was hard for him to hold on to doesn't sit right with me. Doesn't sit right with me. Shouldn't sit right with any of you Orioles fans. Shouldn't sit right with Brandon Hyde, the manager. Shouldn't sit right with Michael Elias. Hell, shouldn't sit right with Kyle, with Kyle Gibson himself. Bottom line is, pal, you're no spring chicken at this. Okay, you've you've been around the league a little bit. You've been on some playoff teams, putting together that 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 that. Horseman know what it's you subjected as Orioles fans to this afternoon when the offense spotted you a nice four-run cushion 
in the bottom of the first inning and then you turn around and give the lead right back? Inexcusable. Inexcusable, unacceptable, grotesque, garbage, losing baseball. And the more and more he puts together starts like that, the further and further he will be from the postseason roster. He'll be on there strictly as a cheerleader and nothing more. Because if he because if he's gonna put together performances like that, that just opens up the that opens up the door for the for the for the Dean Kramers of the world, the Grayson Rodriguez's of the world, the Kyle Bradishes of the world, and then take your pick, you know, with Means, Irvin, uh and Tyler Wells in an opener scenario. Take your pick. But I do not want Kyle Gibson anywhere near a pitcher's mound after October the first. And hopefully the people in charge with the or in within the or within the Orioles uh on field personnel have also taken note of that and have made that little mental note to themselves and amongst each other too. Because having a bad night, you know, that having a bad night to a good team, good offense, that's one thing. You know, as much as Grayson starts piss me off, you know, getting lit up by by you know, by the Texas Rangers, who are one of the hottest offenses in the sport at that particular moment in time in late May, were getting knocked around by the Angels that have Trout and Otani in the lineup. You know, do you love it? No, but when you don't have it and it's not your night, it's not your night. But when when you know, and, and you really put and you put your team behind the eight ball because now they essentially have to play catch up right from their first one, two, th- three turns at bat, and they got to play catch up the remaining of the game. This one, different story. Inferior team with a substandard, pathetic, anemic, uh, feeble offense, and he gets lit up like that in August, no less. Completely, completely, and utterly, utterly inexcusable. Inexcusable. And how about the Seattle Mariners, man? I mean, what a job they've done over the last uh, couple of weeks. Essentially, really, all throughout the month of August. I mean, take away their, uh, take away their heart breaking soul cr- not soul crushing but their heartbreaking agonizing series loss against my Orioles back on uh, Saturday and uh, Sunday the 12th and the 13th of the month they've been completely on fire in the month of uh, in the month of August they've won every series outside of the one against the outside of the aforementioned one against the Orioles they took they they Lost that series, rough loss uh, to the Kansas City Royals on the 14th, and then they went out there and went on a incredible winning streak spanning a week, taking three of four against Kansas City, sweeping the uh, rival Houston uh, in Houston, and then went to Chicago and took two out of three and had their uh, eight-game winning streak end off of a fluky play where the ball uh, went off of... Uh, Went off of the uh, helmet of 
went off the helmet of Julio Rodriguez, and that's how their uh, eight-game uh, and clutch eight-game win streak came to a close. Then they had an off. They came back on to play the aforementioned Kansas City Royals and swept them. And uh, right now, at the time of this recording, they are down. Uh, they are down four to three to the Oakland A's in the bottom of the seventh inning. They beat Oakland 7-0 on uh, Monday night and lost to uh, the A's 3-1. So they have an opportunity to uh, take the series before they hop on a plane and fly east for a lengthy road trip at New York to play the Mets and then Cincinnati and Tampa before they'll be back, uh, excuse me, and then they will be back uh, to the Pacific Northwest to play the uh, LA Angels of Anaheim uh, starting on uh, Monday night, September the 11th. But uh, what a sensational job by them. And Julio Rodriguez, man, he you want to look for the reason why and the uh, Mariners why as to uh, how they've been so uh, crazy impressive and have been just stacking wins upon wins upon wins uh, in the month of August. Look no further than he. Uh, in the week of uh, in the week of um, the thirteenth through the nineteenth, Julio Rodriguez won uh, American League Player of the Week, uh, slugging five sixty eight with an OPS over a thousand, one point four seventeen, two home runs, twelve RBI, seven runs scored, and six stolen bases. He uh, he a few days ago became the second player in Mariners history with forty hits. And ten or more stolen bases in a calendar month. He who join he joins Uli, Julio. I try to combine Julio. I try to. I just did it. I just did it right there. I try to combine Julio and Ichiro, and I came out with whatever you heard about a couple seconds ago. He joins Ichiro Suzuki as the only uh, manner to do that prior to uh, Rodriguez, who did it four times. All five of his four hit games in this month of August have come in the, have came in his last ten games, dating back to August sixteenth. He's the only player since nineteen hundred with a five with five four hit games in a ten game span. Five four hit games. The last uh, the last player to do it prior to he George Sisler of the St. Louis Browns in July of nineteen twenty seven. And entering this month, he was tied. This one is absolutely ridiculous. He was tied 14th in the American League in hits. Heading into Tuesday, he leads the American League in hits. And as of this moment in time right now at 6.05 Eastern Time on this Thursday, he now leads the, where does he rank in um, the American League? He still leads the American League in hits by one over Bo Bichette, two over Marcus Simeon, three over Otani. He's still number one with 153 hits this season. And if you look at uh, and if you look at Rodriguez's stats uh, as a whole this season, 286, 24 home runs, 87 RBIs, 35 stolen bases, 828 OPS. And he's got a month to play, and he's only and he's only six home runs away from finishing with a thirty and thirty season. Let me tell you something right now. To hell with the show, hey Otani. Julio Rodriguez is certainly making a case for American League MVP. I know people don't want to hear it because everyone at Shohei this, Shohei that. He's the greatest thing since sliced bread, two way player, the unicorn. Ah, it's yeah. 
there's more players in the AL West, let alone throughout the rest of the sport, in the American League specifically, in the uh, across the other 14 teams, than Shohei Otani. I know he's great. I know he's great. I know he's talented. I know he's doing his unpre- I've heard it. I I get it. But let, can we? Let's not punish the other uh, the other position players because let's not. Because now, because what, what we've started to do, and what the baseball media kind of sort of has done with the MVP award related with Otani and the just these and the overwhelming landslide level of 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 uh, praise that he gets is that I have a feeling that the media is starting to fall into this trap of of instead of. Celebrating Otani, they are more using him to punish and to devalue the pl- the other players in the sport that are elite who aren't Shohei Otani. That's just me. My two cents is just me talking. But I tell you something right now. If the Seattle Manners, who right now currently hold a tie for first place with the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros atop the American League. Well, they've won eight out of the last ten games. If the Seattle Manners hold on and win and win the West and lock up the two seed, call me whatever you want. My MVP, Julio Rodriguez. My MVP. Because I mean, if you want to go by numbers, is there anybody on the Orioles' position player that screams MVP in terms of worthy enough to get the award compared to its peers? No, my the MVP. I like I said to be at the top of the show, MVP for the, for the Orioles for me is Felix Batista. But what are the odds of a pitcher, let alone a relief pitcher, getting MVP, winning an MVP award, slim to none? Uh, you know, could you, you know, could you find some, could you find somebody, uh, you know, for Tampa? Let me see. Could you find somebody for Tampa Bay? I mean, you could go, uh, uh, Yandy Diaz, who's hitting 327, but 17 home runs, 60, you know, 60 something RBIs, you know, as that's not going to get it done. Randy Rose ran you know, he's hitting 261, uh, with 21 home runs, 74 RBIs, 18 stolen, ba- 18 stolen bases. So I, I guess he is in the midst of the conversation. And you know, Wanda Franco decided, you know, let's uh, ruin my life and be a sick fuck of a human being. Excuse my French and be a pedophile. So he's out. Uh, you know, could you? G- nobody on the Twins. No, thank you. Uh, the Astros. Eh, not really. The Texas Rangers. I mean, could you? Could you find an MVP candidate on the uh, on the te- on the Texas Rangers? Uh, you have uh, Nathaniel Lau, who's hitting two eighty two, fifteen home runs, seventy. I'm sorry, man. You, I can't find anybody on Texas. I can't find anybody on Houston. It's Julio Rodriguez. If you a- you asking me, who's who's the Clear cut MVP. Who's my? I shouldn't say clear cut, but who is my favorite to win MVP? I'd say. Oh well, here's somebody. Kyle Tucker, two ninety two, twenty six home runs, ninety seven RBIs, eight ninety one OPS, twenty six stolen bases. He's also 
not only is he not only is he going to have a hundred bar RBIs by this weekend, essentially, but he's also going to have thirty and thirty within within the next week and a half, two weeks. So, the MVPs in uh, coming out of the American League, my eyes, Kyle Tucker. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, one and two. Though your MVP candidates right there, one and two. Show show hey off to the side. MVP candidates one and two, Tucker and Rodriguez. And depending on how each or the see, I should let me reword this. How either player plays that the stretch of the month of September, especially the final week, two weeks, weekend of the regular season where the division could still very well be on the line between these three teams. Look, if you're a baseball fan, baseball fan, pay attention, have a clue. You're you stay objective and you're not brainwashed, you know, by the Shohei Otani, you know, fan club where he is the greatest thing since Jesus Christ. And how dare you? Speak ill will of Shohei Otani if you don't bow down and worship every single game that he plays. Tucker and Julio Rodriguez, Not you can make the argument, not only is it for who wins the division, Astros and Manners, but depending on how each player plays and the moments and the at-bats and the clutch plays and the clutch moments that, that gets presented to, to both players, not only is it for the division, it's for the MVP. Because those are the MVPs right there, folks. Don't let anybody convince you otherwise, say any different. It's Julio Rodriguez and it's Kyle Tucker. And Tucker, not only is he having a better, now Rodriguez having a better month, but not only is Tucker having a better season than Rodriguez, you also have to keep in mind, too, Kyle Tucker had to pretty much carry that team for the first Two month, two for the first two, two and a half months of the season. Because remember, Altuve, they they were injured on the rotation and what their and with their bets. Altuve, of course, being one up, being their primary uh, and their star second, their star second baseman. So one like that, the and you go back and look at the at the Astros record in April, in May, June. Things weren't weren't peaches and cream, sugar and spice, and everything nice. But the reason, one of the main reasons why, along with solid pitching, and then of course they traded for Verlander, which was a huge help, and playing the doormats of the Oakland A's obviously uh, helps your record as well. But one of the main reasons why they their season did not nosedive and spiral out of control early in the season back in the spring when they were still getting their sea legs under them, look ahead at, uh, at Kyle Tucker. Again, he's going to have 30 and 30 within a week, and he's going to eclipse, and he's going to eclipse the 100 RBI mark by this weekend. He's got 90, he's got 97 RBIs, and it's not even, uh, and it's not even September the 1st yet. Rodriguez and, uh, and Kyle Tucker.
than the meaning of making about Kyle Tucker. It's more so about the uh, manners, but it kind of fits because you look at the American League West and how nip and tuck it is within that division. All teams are set, or the Rangers and the Manners are both 75 and 57, while the Houston Astros are 76 and 58. The Rangers, man, they have really, with Chapman blowing save after save, do you know, did you know that the uh, that the Texas Rangers have blown more saves this season than they have converted them. Did you know that? 25 to 24, I think, is the number last I checked. Did you know that? And I suspected, you know, and seeing that as Chapman being up to his old tricks, blowing save after save after save, I can't say that I'm surprised. Because listen, Chapman, he's a solid reliever. He's a he's a he's a solid uh he's a solid um uh playable, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh serviceable that's the word, serviceable closer. But is he what he used to be? Not 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 in the slightest. So when I, you know, read stories and I read the box score and watch the and watch the highlights of, you know, another night at the office and Chapman blows another save, that uh, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me because that because that's who a role because that's who a role Chapman is, and whether you love him hate him that that's his game now in 2023 at this stage in his career he is not the he is not the automatic, uh he's not the automatic. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, uh, reliever, uh, closer with an ERA hovering at at one point whatever and below. No, his ERA now is in the twos, which for closer is the equivalent as a, is the equivalent of a starting pitcher's ERA being in the force. It's it's not it's not a pretty sight, but does did it shock me? Has it shocked me? Absolutely not. Listen, you getting you you ride the Arodis Chapman train. You deserve what you get, and we've seen Chapman many a times in the postseason with the effort with the, obviously with the Yankees, uh, whether uh, whether against uh, against Houston, Boston, whomever. We've seen Chapman, uh, Tampa. We've seen Chapman vomit all over themselves many a times in October. And if you're a Ranger fan, do you feel confident with your season on the line? Uh, with your season on the line, going up against, uh, you know, g- trying to get, trying to secure a one-run lead against Seattle, Houston, the Orioles, Tampa. I certainly wouldn't. Not in the slightest. I, I'd be. I. I would be on pins and needles, high blood pressure. Every single time he t- he steps foot on the mound in, in a tight game. Every single time. But the Manners are certainly have done their fair share of taking advantage of that. And Julio Rodriguez with this elite hot streak that he's been on uh, re- this month is certainly a, a big reason. A big reason why. My only thing with the Mariners is... Is are they Pete? And if I were a Mariners fan, or or bet the or uh, or placed money on the Mariners, the thing that would that I would you know in terms of winning the division, you know, if I bet them, the thing that would make me nervous is are the Mariners peaking 
too early. Which I know it sounds dumb when they're tied for first place and the and the run ain't over yet, but if I was a Mariners fan, the last thing I would want is for them to be go from tied and fir- tied for first place in the West to you know to scratching and clawing their way to to get the sixth seed come the final week come the final week final weekend in September. Because cra- because as we all know in baseball, crazier things have happened. So that that would be my that would be my only subconscious worry if I was a Manners fan is are we is are we playing our best ball of the season too early? That would that would worry me. But I would say you know what. What the, they're not playing their best ball of the season to you know for them to win a championship. They're playing their best ball of their season for, so they can get into the dance for them to try to go out there and win a championship. So, and as long as Rodriguez plays at the elite level that he is, you know they're going to be fine. Now he did have to. Now he was not in a lineup early this afternoon because of some issues with his foot. Uh, which would uh, some nerve issues, which brings about which brings about uh, pain to his foot, which would if I was a Mariners fan certainly would worry me more than more than the team peaking too early. It's my previous talking point, but because uh, because without him, you know your chances of winning the division, let alone winning a World Series title, goes in the toilet. But um, and he's been your MVP and your best player this month. So we'll see if uh, if the Rodriguez foot thing is a is a one time thing or it will or will it be you know a serpent creeping in the night uh, as they as the calendar crosses into the month of uh, into the month of September uh, and then a couple of quick uh, notes in terms of the baseball I say for the New York stuff for last uh, but Steven Strasburg. Retires. Uh, he announced his retirement last week. I did not touch on it on the show uh, on uh, Friday, but Steven Strasburg announced his retirement. I believe it was uh, it was last Thursday that the news uh, broke in the Washington Post that he was going that he was announcing uh, that he was announcing uh, his retirement. Uh, let me pull up his stats right here, quick. I mean, he. It's, uh, I tell you something right now. First off. He was one of those players that was talked about tremendously in the late 2000s when you know when he was in the minor leagues, and it came up and of course had that electric uh, debut against the Pirates in 2010. Uh, who can forget the flack that the Washington Nationals took when they had him on that uh, on that innings limit in 2012, their first postseason, uh, their first. Uh, the, playoff appearance in in their rebranded Nationals franchise history and and the Nationals go ahead and shut and shut them down while while they're in the midst of a pennant race to not sit right with a lot of Nationals fans and not sit right with a lot of people uh because of course you because of course he in that 2000 and because in that 2011 season if i remember correctly he had the Tommy he had the Tommy John that uh that started in Philadelphia he threw the ball and his elbow popped and and uh and all of a sudden the Nationals you know were stir crazy holy crap are we going to uh 
We're going to lose our phenom starting pitcher. So they, of course, uh, you know, coddled their uh, their cash cow, which, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, you can criticize them and critique them for. And and it it, it did not. And yes. Yeah, so, and uh, it was it was in. Uh, it was when did he have that Tommy John surgery in 2010. Was it 2010 that he had it? I know he came back in 2000 and uh, yep, it was two. It was, so it was 2010. So it was later that uh, so he made his debut in 2000. So he made his debut June 8th, 2010 and had to get and got injured a couple months later in August uh and needed uh and needed Tommy John and then came back in the uh, 2011 season and remember he had the second best ERA and that was the big reason why people were so up in arms about it because he was by far the best uh pitcher among their rotation and he also was the best starting pitcher in the National League National League best 34 strikeouts second best ERA at 1.13 uh, did not give up a home run, only gave up six walks, and uh, so he was flying. And then as a result of his Tommy John uh, surgery and the fact they didn't pitch a whole hell of a lot in 2011, they had an innings limit for a 2012 season, and they had to, uh, and they had to, um, shut and they had to uh and they had to shut him down and of course he was not able to participate in the Nationals champion or not championship and in their playoff run that year in which they lost to the Cardinals of course in five games and again in a series that they certainly certainly could have used them uh, of course who can forget that god awful uh that god awful uh horrendous ending in and horrendous or not horrendous ending to the series and that horrendous even though they you know they worth of course the walk off home run to force the game five and losing game five they certainly could have used them in the Cardinals series in 2012 and they caught all sorts of uh and it caught all sorts of uh flack for it and you know at the time rightfully so now you know 10, uh, 10 11 years later now that he's retired they did win a championship with Strasburg and he was a big part of the reason why you know can you debate you know was it worth it was it justified at in the here and now I don't know. I I mean, considering that they won a championship seven years later, and Strasburg was a p- big part of that, and you know, who can you know can you make the argument that they would have you know, the I would have had to go through the Giants to get to the World Series. Who knows? So uh, so. You know, it's kind of one of those hindsight 2020 conversations, but certainly was the talk of the uh, baseball and sports world at the time 11 years ago. Uh, his career, he had, he, I mean, look, I mean, for a pitcher that did not last very long, man, he certainly took advantage of, of, uh, of his moment and his opportunity, putting together a 113-62 win-loss record with career ERA, excuse me, of 3.244, excuse me, 3.24. He was three-time All-Star, 19 World Series champion, not 19 times, 2019 World Series champion, uh, was the World Series MVP in that uh, in that championship series and made the All MLB First Team in that 19 year. He went 18 and six, 
career high in wins, had an ERA of 3.32 in uh, 33 starts, pitched 209 innings, a career uh, a career best, uh, struck out 251 batters, uh, and had a whip of 1.03 that season. Whip of 1.03 that year. Finished fifth in Cy Young voting, 15th in MVP voting that year. Uh, and of course, who can, you know, he was excellent in 2011 and 2010. His short sample size in 2011 was also good too. He went on in that 2012 aforementioned season, 15 and 6 record with a 3.16 ERA and 159 and third innings uh, worth of work. Uh, he had a a whip of 1.15, was an all-star, and won a Silver Slugger Award, of course, back in the good old days when pitchers, uh, when pitchers hit. And, of course, in the 2020 season, only had one start, did not pitch the remainder of that season. 2020, 2021 only pitched three times, one and two, with a 4.57 ERA in a short sample size, and only pitched once in 2022, uh, and then that was the end of that. Short career, sad way of how injuries, you know, derailed it from beginning to end. But for a player that when I, the thing that I'm sure, and I can say without fear of contradiction, I can imagine that Steven, Steven Strasburg, when he made peace with the, with the, uh, with the notion and his decision, well, not the notion, but his decision with retiring, I guarantee he sat back and said, do I wish my career could have been longer? Yes, absolutely. Do I wish I could have won a Cy Young? Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, as short as my career was, I was one of the best in the business at what I did for the short window of time that I did it. And at the end of the day, I did what every single person that strives to be a professional athlete did, and that's win their team a championship, and that's being a key, vital, important piece in doing so. And as the icing on the cake, he was the World Series. He was also the World Series MVP. And and Strasburg, if he was on this show, he he he'd say the same thing. When all is said and done, at the end of the day, he's a World Series champion, World Series MVP, and nobody can ever, ever, ever take that away from him. So it's a sad. When I read it, you know, I was I was sad, you know. Have seeing a player be essentially forced to retire because of injuries is never a a a a a a positive or a happy, cheery way you want to see a professional athlete go out. But in a short limited time that he you know that he, uh, God blessed him to pitch in the major leagues, he certainly made the most of it and left nothing left outside of a you know a couple individual awards here and there. The idea, you know, when you play professional sports is to win a championship and, 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 and pitch in big games and rise to the, to, to the, in the, when the, when the spotlight is on you at, at its brightest. And that's, and that's what Strasburg did. I mean, you make a route, you make a Mount Rushmore of the greatest Washington Nationals of all time. You know, you'll put Ryan Zimmerman, you'll put, um, you know, I, you'll put Bryce Harper. I think you'll put my opinion because of how great he was in that 19 season. You'll put Anthony Rendon 
but I think the the GOAT, the greatest Washington National of all time, in my opinion, and certainly the greatest pitcher that ever pitched for that organization, Bryce or er, Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg. So short, sad way to have his career end, but he left nothing on the table, man. And when you take account of what he did in the short window of time that he did it, he was a damn good pitcher too. So Steven Strasburg uh, retires, albeit probably not at the timing that he uh, wanted and the and the nudge being the one that he would like, and that's injury. Uh, and, then, of course, the Nationals had the choice to give who the big-time contract, Strasburg or Rendon. They were damned on both accounts because both players, of course, uh, you know, injuries have been a problem ever since the turn of the, of this decade, since the turn into this new decade. Uh, they picked Strasburg because he was a starting pitcher uh, and let Anthony Rendon walk. You know, you're a Nationals fan. You really can't cry because you were damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you paid one guy and didn't pay the, if you paid a Ren, if you paid Rendon, look at how his career has has been as a Los Angeles Angel of the last few seasons. He's barely played, so you were six in one hand, half a dozen in the other, and you were, you know, and that was your final window of opportunity for you to win a championship before you had to hit the reset button and rebuild, and you won your championship. Now you got to rebuild from the ground up. And you're not, you know, as bad as people as people had advertised heading into the season. They are the Washington Nationals are a respectable baseball team. You look at their uh, you look at their record here in the National League in the National League East. They're not in last place, and they're on, And get this, guys, they are only they've won six out of the last ten games, and they are only ten games below five hundred. I mean. No, I mean this. They're going to win about seventy to seventy-five games this year. They are, they are they already have sixty-two of the month to play. I mean seventy. Who's to say they can't go in between seventy-five and eighty-seven? Or if they catch a magical hot streak in the month, who say they can't flirt with five hundred? Certainly, it's possible. I mean, they they passed the Mets' place over the weekend. For they passed the Met, the the Mets are now in last place, they they passed and they moved up in the fourth over the weekend. I'm not sure not how not not many people were made aware of it, but it's that's, that's the truth. They have, they have some young talent. Joy Manessis, they they have have a lot of talent. He's still a young team, still ways to go, and you know you want to talk about you know getting back to playoff baseball at the nation's capital, but they are no pushover. They are no, they are no pushover, man. They're not. Um, and speaking of the uh, of the New York Mets, rumors broke uh, earlier this week that it, that Pete Alonso was going to be traded uh, during the off season. Uh, you've heard a lot of uh, you've heard a lot of rumors and a lot of takes and a lot of opinions of. Uh, of uh, who's the blame for the Mets, you know, season going to hell and and uh, and and Pete Alonso is he a clubhouse cancer and this that and the third. Let me read you these. Uh, let me read you this right here, and this is courtesy of SNY. 
quote, at least a handful of Mets players plan to privately appeal to Steve Cohen for the team to uh, retain Pete Alonso as uh, as his free agency approaches in 2024. Quote, players reiterated that Alonso is a hard worker, fun-loving, terrific at what he does, handles, play, handles playing in New York, and a glue of a guy within the clubhouse and a special member of the team's core that might end up in the Hall of Fame. Those points would be made to Steve Cohen directly, players said. So there's a lot of play- so. I don't know, man. You hearing you hearing in uh, Buck Showalter says, "quote It's hard to follow, hard act to follow every year." The guy's going to drive in a hundred runs again, hit forty home runs again. He's going to post up every day. We're lucky to have him. So you know, you're hearing a lot of conflicting reports. You're hearing, you know, uh, the Pete Alonso is a clubhouse is a clubhouse cancer. He's up to no good. He's you know he he he's he's t- get rid of him. You don't don't pay him. Everything else, and then you hear and you hear what I just read to you, and and you hear that a bunch of guys within the clubhouse love Alonzo, and they want and they want him to stay, and they think he should be a part of the Mets. Uh, future down the down the road down the line, cause he cause he quite by far certainly folks is the best player on the team, but not not even close, not even arguing, not, not even a debate. It's there are is there some things? Excuse me, are there some things about Alonzo that you don't love? Uh, that you don't love about about him? You know, he takes too much stock in winning the home run derby. You know he 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 takes it too he takes it too seriously he, you know but I mean hey. He's a baseball player, man. He's a baseball player. He's human. We're all not every. You're not gonna love everything about. You're not gonna love everything about an individual. There are some elements, you know, and you can go through many of the lists of professional athletes. There's a there's a, quite a few things about professional athletes, whether it's with their game or who they are as a as a person or their personality in the arena of them being a professional athlete that we're not in love with. Uh, regardless of the player, regardless of the team, done you know this, you could always nitpick and find an element of a of a player, whether their game speci- their game specifically or who or their personality depicted in their craft that you don't love. But hey, that's part of the human experience. That's part of professional sports. So, and the Mets would be doing a colossal, colossal mistake. And letting him walk and get and, uh, and, and 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 letting him walk and or trading him, uh, trading him away, man. Because listen, and if the New York Mets are further along than than uh, further along from winning a championship or two or getting back to winning over a hundred games and having City Field packed in August and in September and pennant races, then yeah, that's one thing. But you know, trade them and see if you can get your highest, get the highest value. But if the Mets feel like that they have an opportunity to find a way to make the playoffs again, maybe not win a division, but make the playoffs again and be a competitive, respectable product in 2024 and beyond, I don't see how you trade Pete Alonso. Fairly young player, got a lot left in the tank. He's very consistent with his game. You know, he's not, you know, a la Chris Davis, who will hit 53 home runs and drive in over 100 RBIs in one season, and then and then drop off and hit 23 home runs and drive in 65 the next. He very he's uh, consistency is a big part and a big positive to his game, and for the Mets to essentially be trigger happy to trade that man, I 
I don't know. I, I, if I was running the Mets, I would not do it. No way, no how, I would not do it. Wouldn't, wouldn't do it. But, um, but that's just me. We'll see what the Mets do coming up, coming up, uh, as the, when their season concludes a month from uh, a month from Friday. Uh, the New York Yankees are uh, up to road tricks with uh, the way that they. Uh, love, uh, love, but the way that they run their championship uh, level, top level, cream of the crop organization up to their old tricks. Uh, Harrison Bader had no idea that uh, had no idea that he was getting placed on waivers, and then to find out watching ESPN. I mean, you think Cashman, you think Boone, anybody, Hal, the owner, you th- who signs who signs his paychecks. You would think that that somebody between those three stooges would pick up the damn phone and would and and would give Bader a heads up, you know, pick up the phone to have a conversation, shoot him a text message, hey, step into my office, anything. You would think that any of those three dopes would have the would have the would have the common courtesy and would have the, 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 the professionalism within them to pick up the phone or somehow find a way to get in contact with Harrison Bader and let them know, hey, the team that your hometown team, the team that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into uh, either as a fan in your days as a fan and now as a player, you're, not, you're no longer New York Yankee anymore after this day because we're placing you on, rate, on uh, waivers hang by the phone, you know, any of the other 29 teams can call, can come running wanting to uh, pick you up and sign you. And then it's hopping and then hop on a plane to go to whatever, uh, respective city once you, uh, want your services, but no, the Cashman done, done do that. The, the hapless GM, uh, we all know Boone and his wonderful leadership skills when he, when he somehow, some way did not, uh, check with the aforementioned Bader last October in the playoffs in the ALCS. Oh, Harrison, by the way, you're hitting leadoff tonight. And uh, Harrison Bader is like, no, I had no idea. I was never told. I had no idea. It was a complete and utter shock and surprise to me. I was hitting, hitting leadoff. I mean, it's just, yeah. and then the team sits up and wonders why, you know, they're not going to the playoffs. They're below 500. They're in last place. And they they want they wonder why and it's and it's because and I've said it ad infinitum, hundreds of thousands of times, everything rises specifically, pertaining to the New York Yankees, everything rises and falls on leadership. If the person that's at the top that 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 signs the paychecks, that sets the tone, that sets the standard, that's the head, that's the head head man head person, head figure in charge, they don't set the tone and they don't say, hey, we're doing things different around here. We're all going to be held. We're all going to hold each other accountable. We're all going to be responsible. We're all going to have open lines of communication regardless of positioning, how much money we make. We're all in, we're all under this, under this Yankee, uh, under this, uh, under this, uh, Yankee organization, this 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 baseball team, we're all a part of it all together at once. But instead, what what the Yankees do? They you know they screw around, they pussyfoot around. They they don't know they they don't know which way is up. How the owner who's lost and clueless, the GM who's past his expiration date, who you know 
who's put who put together this garbage roster, and then of course Aaron Boone that doesn't know his ass from his elbow and is one of the worst leaders. In, I mean, he his leadership level is at the level of Freddie Kitchens, uh, Joe Judge. I mean, one of the worst leaders as a head coach and or in baseball's case a manager I've ever seen. I mean, it, it is it is alarming how incompetent he is at his job. At at the basic, basic stuff. And Harrison Bader, you know, looking like a lost puppy caught with his tail in between his legs when he gets met with the media when he's essentially learning that he's gonna be out of a job with the new you know with the New York Yankees for the foreseeable future. And and Aaron Boone doesn't bother. Hey, Harrison, step into my office. I gotta talk to you for a minute. Pick up the phone, a conversation, you know, while they're eating breakfast or lunch at the hotel lobby, meet him in his room for nothing. Nothing. Cash and pick up the phone. Nothing. How? The owner pick up the phone. Nothing. Guy is from the Bronx, girl brute for the Yankees. Nothing. Was your best player in the postseason last year. Nothing. And when the Yankees pull crap like that and th- and things like that go unchecked and the line of communication is just nowhere to be found, that is why I can't listen to people sit up and make excuses for and... and kind of give Aaron Boone a soft cushion to land on or give him a pay because that's not anything that that's not creating a lineup card. That's not if because, you know, Cash makes a lineup card, Cash controls the bullpen, Boone's just the puppet, this, that, and the third. No. And even if that is the case, how does that apply to something like this? We're talking about uh, the human level of sports here. How would you like it if if you found out that you were no longer going to be needed, if you if you were going to be terminated or let go or furloughed from your job and you had to hear it, let's say, you know, you work for a Fortune 500 company and you had to hear about it, you know, on the news. You know, 6 o'clock news comes on, your local 6 o'clock news or the or the uh, news on CBS or ABC or NBC, night the news comes on and you hear a story of you know such and such company. I don't know. You pick one. Under Armour, uh, Starbucks. You you pick the Fortune 500 company. And they and they you know because of whatever reason they had to lay off X number employees either as a whole or at this specific location or in this state, this city, this region, then they had to let go that, you know, X number of employees. And you had to hear about it through an outside source on television, you know, as, as cold, as, uh, as cutthroat and cold hearted as, you know, as, uh, you know, as, uh, as, as swallowing a, 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 a cold piece of chicken with bones in it, you know, rather than hearing it from your employer personally face to face or voice to voice. How'd you feel? Be like, man, I, I, I bust my balls. I, I show up to work every day. I do everything right. You know, I answer the bell. I do this. I do that. 
I see the, let alone I see these people and communicate them on a daily basis. I've been around them, you know, days and months at a time ad infinitum, and they don't have the common courtesy and the human decency to pick up the phone or to, or to, or to, or to go find me in, in the, in the locker room in Detroit or, or at the hotel in Detroit and say, Hey, we're put, we're, we plan to put you on, we plan to put you on waivers. Really? And again, how Cashman certainly. What about Boone? Boone Boone puts he may not he may not write the lineup card, but he posts but he pins it on the wall. He pins it on the wall. He pins it up in the dugout before every game. And not once when he pins it up and he reads and he sees Vader's name sitting there, does he say, "Huh, this guy's in a lineup and he won't be on the team," you know, earliest as tomorrow morning. Let me go ahead and 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 in case he hasn't already, in case my higher ups haven't done haven't took taken care of it already, let me you know just to, to give him the decency to say, hey, we're putting him on waivers. That's what a that's what a high quality leader. That's what a man does. That's what a high qual. That's what that's what men do. That's what a high quality respectable leader does. And Boone being the last line of leadership defense within a Yankees organization in terms of the on-field product, the, the the baseball team side of the of the Yankees organization, nothing. And again, that's why I can't listen to people, you know, sit up there and make excuses ad infinitum, excusing Boone's piss poor behavior. And it's piss poor managing and that, well, it's not really his fault. He's a puppet. I, that's why I can't listen to it. Because Boone has plenty of opportunities that don't necessarily involve, and sometimes they do, but don't directly involve the X's and O's of the game. And it's an opportunity for Boone to spread his wings and show the team and show the Yankee organization and the Yankee fandom and the Yankee and, and, and baseball fans, you know, that 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 follow the Yankees and are in tune with the Yankees this season, times and opportunities come and go, for Boone to 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 show some valor as 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 a leader, and he never rises to the occasion. Even when it comes to stuff like that, and Boone of all people should know because he played. He comes from a baseball family and he played. Decent length in the major leagues. He played. This isn't, you know, a guy that was a, uh, you know, that was a career minor leaguer or, you know, played baseball up until college and, you know, hasn't, you know, and doesn't necessarily his, you know, he can't speak of a place of experience when it comes to being a major league baseball player. He's not one of those guys. Aaron Boone, 20 years ago, was like Bader is now, or was a New York Yankee in the starting lineup. Twenty a short twenty years ago, Aaron Boone was playing for the New York Yankees. And it's like with him being a former player and a former Yankee from not too long ago. I, I, I'm all, I'm at a loss for words, man. I re really, really, really am. 
until last night and Monday night, the Yankees had not won the first two games of a road series dating back to May 29th and 30th when they beat the aforementioned Seattle Manors. Uh, they also released Josh Donaldson uh, within the last 48 hours. Here, just gonna get a look at get a load of this. Brian Cashman, this is for you. 17 months later, Donaldson, the, the Yankees got Josh Donaldson, Ben Rordvet, and Isaiah Kainafalefa from the uh, Minnesota Twins in exchange for Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. Gary Sanchez is now on the Padres. Urshela is now on the Angels. IKF failed at shortstop. Damn Skippy ain't a left, ain't a left fielder and is a utility man for the Yankees. Which, and as sad as this sounds, one of the better players on the team this year, not named Aaron Judge. Rordvet, he's batting 122 in 25 games. Donaldson, just released, hit 207, injured to Helen back, and off the field problems. Brian Cashman, ladies and gentlemen, how about it? And then, you know, and leading going back to Boone right quick. And then the Yankees going to, you know, a report, you know, released not to, within the last seven days. Boone's is going to be is going to be back in 2024. I mean, insanity is doing the same damn thing over and 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 over again, expecting different results. So congrats, you're going to run it back and. Uh, you're going to run it back with the two Stooges with uh, Boone and Cashman. Hope it serves you well, New York. And as for you Yankee fans, welcome to hell. That's all I got to say. Uh, let uh, me do this. Let me take a second, get some water, punch up these NFL schedules, and I will be back in the next second or two. Mariners found a way to win uh, their 21st victory this month, the most in uh, their winningest month in Mariners franchise history. Their 21st uh, victory in the month of August, they found a way to get it done against the Oakland Athletics uh, earlier this afternoon. Um, in terms of the NFL with the schedule, which as you all know, and I promise you that I was going to get to it, so here I go. A uh, couple th questions that I have. And I'll break down international, you know, the good games, the piss poor games of the, of the prime time, 425 game of the week, Christmas, Thanksgiving, this, that, and the third. Uh, here's, here's my thing with, um, with, with the schedule. The first question I have is, and they both are concerning the Chiefs, ironically enough, why is the kickoff game, which is the game, obviously, that will begin and literally kick off the 2023 NFL regular, se regular season, why is the first game on the calendar for the season a week from tomorrow, why is that the Lions and the Chiefs? Can, can somebody explain to me the NFL's logic in that, please? Why? Because, why? Because, and listen... I don't hate the Lions, okay? I don't hate the Lions. There's no reason for me to hate the Lions. There's no reason for me to hate the Lions fans. 
I got no malice or ill will towards the Detroit Lions organization or their fan base. They're going to be a good team this year. You know, they're going to, it's going to be them and the Vikings. You know, it's the, they got just as much of a fighter's chance to win, the NFC, to win the NFC North as anybody in that division. They were a pesky, feisty team last season. Finished nine and eight, above five hundred record. Knocked the Packers out of the playoffs, week eighteen. But somebody, why? Be, but because of the fact, but because of that, they're every they are the lovable loser, feel good story of the last two off seasons. And they knocked out Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs. We're gonna put them on national TV as the first game. And say, I mean, with I mean. With all due respect, I mean, don't we, isn't the Lions one Thursday night game a year, one Thursday game a year of the year that we have, that we as football fans, you know, sit down and watch them, is Thanksgiving? I mean, no disrespect, but I mean, I could see if they were playing, if I could see if you want to put them on Thursday night, middle of October, November against the Lions, I live with it. You want to put them and have them play a Thursday night game against Kansas City in early December? I'll live with it. But to begin the season right out the gate, Chiefs raising the, or unveiling their third championship banner in franchise history. Their second of out of the, the second, their second in the last uh what four seasons, and and it's going to be against the Detroit. I mean, uh, where did the NFL get that idea from? I that one real when I unveiled that back in May, man, that made no sense to me whatsoever. I mean, especially because of the fact of how many options they had on the board. I mean, the Chiefs. You look at their schedule. The Chiefs play a lot of intriguing home games this season. Let let let, let me take a look at Kansas City, man. They play a lot of intriguing home games, which is which for the which does which. I thought would do the NFL and NBC a big favor because he had a huge uh, disposal of games, a, a huge disposal of, uh, or excuse me, a huge variety of games at their at their uh, disposal for week one. I mean, you got the, the Chargers, they got the Chargers, obviously. They have the, uh, they have, you could do a Super Bowl rematch against the Eagles. Uh, they host the Eagles rematch of the Super Bowl. You could have had them. You you want to run running back them in Buffalo one more one more time and this time put it the week one be my guess. They host they I mean they host the Chargers, the the Eagles, the Bengals, the Bills, and then the Dolphins with Tyree Kill's return. They had five solid options. Five solid options to go to for the Chiefs home opener a week from tomorrow and the and the best concoction that they came up with for the home opener is is the Detroit is the Detroit Lions week are you with Jared Goff are you kidding me no disrespect Jared Goff he had a tremendous bounce back season but if you the whole point is to give us the matchup that we can sink our teeth into, that we can that you know, that we can look at and we can say, okay, you know, chap chapter the chapter of this book ended here on this day. You flip, you know, you flip the next page, 
the following chapter picks up right where the previous chapter left off. You could have had that with Philadelphia. You could have had that with you could have had that with uh, with Cincinnati. If you want to put add the Tyree Kill, uh, if you want to give it, if you want to you know add the Tyree Kill uh, return, you know drama factoring, you could have went there. You want to just go to the divisional route and give us and give us uh, and give us Justin Herbert again. No problems with me. Fine by fine by me. And also want to see if the LA market, you know, which they don't, but the LA market, you know, get a big rating out of out of them by putting the Chargers on. No problem. No problem. No no qualms. No 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 bones to pick. Nothing. They had all of that at their disposal. All of that. And then of course. Everyone loves to talk about the Buffalo-Kansas City game from the 2021 Divisional Playoffs. You could have went there. But the Detroit uh, and the NFC North, it's going to be competitive. Division titles up in the air this season. Let's call it like we see it. It's not one of the more attractive, uh, sexiest divisions in, in football, let alone in the NFC. It's the worst division in football, not named the NFC North, all right? Can we call it like we see it? It may it's the second most competitive, but it's but it's among the bottom tier of the of the of the worst in terms of the quality of teams, top to bottom. And again, I expect the Lions to be good. I expect the Lions to be competitive. I think I certainly see an enemy where the Detroit Lions can make the playoffs without having to sneak their way in there. They're going to be a feisty bunch, and they're only going to get better heading into this season. But for week one, when we haven't, now we've had preseason, but when we haven't had a football game of substance where the stats, where the W's and the L's matter, we haven't had a game with those circumstances since the Super Bowl. We haven't seen Kansas City play a game of that circumstance since the championship game. And it's supposed to be, give us the good game first, you know, the opening game of the season, get that appetite wet, you know, for those for those people that blew off preseason football, that's had enough of the preseason and offseason NFL talk, it's the game that says, bam, you know, now it's football season. You have a game to watch that means something, the stats mean something, the results mean the results mean something. Hope Springs Eternal, September football, both teams record it's zero and zero. The records reset, the, the season stats reset. It's a clean slate. First, you know, it's the most highly anticipated out of all the Thursday night games, not including Thanksgiving, it's the most highly anticipated and most watched Thursday night football game of the year. And to start us out, we have the Detroit Lions against Kansas City. I mean, come on, guys, what are we doing? I understand, you know, it's supposed to be a showcase to come to commemorize and to salute the Super Bowl champions of the previous season but good lord you you got to give me you got to give me better than Chiefs Lions you have to you have to you had uh, be, I and and listen I understand why they didn't do 
then why they didn't put the Bengals? Because A, I wouldn't be surprised if CBS called dibs on that game because every single matchup that of those two teams that's you know that we've had, CBS has been on it like white on race. So you want to say CBS called dibs on that for that to be their 425 game New Year's Eve? Okay, fine. It'd, be still, it'd still be a great matchup week one as it would be, you know, weeks 13 through 17 in December. But I, I, can, I, I get it. I understand it. I can live with it. I don't have a problem with it. It was an option on the table, but they don't choose it. Okay, they re- makes sense. They don't, want, they don't want to put Burrow and uh, Emma Holmes on TV in September when they know that they can have a, a, a better game with more on with more on the line and more people watching if they put if they schedule that game deeper in the season in uh, in uh, in December with cold weather. Rather than them sweating their asses off in in, in Kansas in Kansas City for the th- on the you know during the first game of the season, I get it. So I get I give them a pass. Philadelphia, you know, similar sets of similar sets of circumstances. You know, you know, they just play in the super. They just play in the Super Bowl. You want to give us the same. You want to give us the same matchup. You know, you had the twenty two season end with that matchup. You want to open up twenty three with the same. A little bit redundant, you know. Could be rubbing the the the, the Eagles' noses nose in it a little bit. You don't want to put them on there. Okay, fine. Buffalo, they're not. They had the opening game last year against against last year against the Rams. You know, do you really want to have two teams that didn't win a Super Bowl get the kickoff game back back years in a row? They wanted to shy away from that. That I can understand, but. They could have given, they could have given me my, they could have given me the Chargers and they could have given me Miami. Give me the Chargers, Burrow versus Burrow. Mahomes versus Herbert. Who's going to turn the TV off and say no to that? I don't care what week they're playing. And then you can give me Miami because albeit Tua is not on the same level as Patrick Mahomes, it's Tyree Kill. And his return to what uh, and and his return to Arrowhead, and he as the ex chief who was on the field and on the team in the last game he played as a chief was the twenty one to three collapse against Cincinnati, and now he has to return back his first game back at his old place at Arrowhead, and he has to see the team raise a championship banner, which they won in his first year. They trade in his first year after you know when they traded him after they traded him. Uh, to uh, after they traded him to Miami, which I far more interesting and more intriguing storyline than the Lions. Also, you know the Lions came within an eyelash with a with a backup quarterback of beating Buffalo in the playoffs back in January, and they're kind of you know are they the second or the third team in the AFC East? Are they the team that's you know that's flying under the radar in the AFC? That's not named the New York Jets. That's not named the Baltimore Ravens. That's not named the Kansas City Chiefs. You know that could that could make a Super Bowl, but whole lot of juicy storylines you can sink your teeth into. If you give us Kansas City and you gave us the Dolphins, bad enough you stuck the game in London, let alone didn't even bother to put the game we when it came out in May, man, I, I was flabbergasted, flabbergasted. And again, they have a good select. They're, I mean, 
while we're at it, why don't we put the why don't we put the Lions off? And since everyone's in love with Justin Fields and thinks he's going to be an MVP candidate, and we're so head over heels in love with the, with the Chicago Bears this year, while we're at it, why don't we just say screw it at the last second, kick the Lions out, and put the Bears to to, to, to in an Arrowhead a week from a week from uh, a week from tomorrow? Why 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 don't we put the Bears there? Or, or say the hell with it, Jimmy G is, is a Raider now. We got to put the Raiders on TV and put Raiders and Chiefs on prime time for the ninth millionth time in the last three years and, and, and have the Raiders be the kickoff game. See Jimmy G's teeth get kicked in sideways and have the and have the Raiders get the, get the uh, brakes beaten off of them at Arrowhead for roughly the fifth year in a row. But going back to my other point, Dolphins and Chiefs in Germany. All the talk over the last two years, roughly, of, you know, Hill gets to Miami. He kind of shrugs off, you know, the, 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 the quiet, disgruntled ex. You know, it kind of shrugs it off. Uh, Kansas City, uh, you know, yeah, I want championships there, but you know, they ain't nothing, man. Th- these guys are better now. Hyping up Tua to the point where he's a, yeah, Tua's more accurate, uh, more, you know, going out there and saying Tua's more accurate than Patrick Mahomes and all the chatter and the, and and and, and the smoke that was caused with that and how he's kind of, and how he isn't necessarily, you know, Kansas City Chiefs fans have kind of semi-turned on him a little bit because of the comments that he said when he first got to Miami in comparison, you know, with this time at Kansas City. All of that juiciness, you know, with, between him, the, the team itself, and the fan base. Sold-out crowd, you know, you know what, he, he, he gets thrown a pass, you know, they're going to boot, they're going to boo him out the building. All of that, all of that juiciness that entails. The cheat, you know, and 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 whenever do you and how often do you see it in sports where a team, you know, trades their second or their third best player that that's a, that was as elite as Tyreek Hill was in Kansas City, especially during the uh, during the Mahomes years, as elite as he you can make the argument between he and Kelsey who was the better player you know between the two of them you can flip a coin. But what? But how many teams in sports can you name trades trades no, trades away, like without like trades them away like some guy that you know some practice squad guy lucky to make the fifty three, uh, trades away, no kicking and screaming a la with the and 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 a, and a fierce standoff between two parties a la Jonathan Taylor. No, trade has no qualms and no regrets with trending away. Their second, third, you take your pick, best player on on that on that specific team, and the year, the season, the season following, they trade said second or third best player on the team. They go out there and win a championship. Like when that does not happen in sports a whole hell of a lot. And you would have had to have Tyreek Hill stand there, sit there, and stomach. Seeing the Chiefs unveil 2022 season Super Bowl 57 champions. And I said it after he got traded. Listen, he may have the more money. More money may be nice and Miami may be a better place to live, you know, 
in December, in, in November, December, January than Kansas City. But Kansas City, you know, you're going to be you're going to be playing in the play. You're going to be not only are you going to be in the playoffs, you're going to have home field advantage, and you're going to make a deep run. You're either going to be in a conference championship game at bare minimum or the Super Bowl. Dolphins had a good season, made the playoffs. Miami better place to live in than uh, Kansas City, but Tyree Tyree Kill played one extra game than the than, than that of the likes of the Chicago Bears and the Carolina Panthers last season. Kansas City went all the way back to the Super Bowl. You, you had that. Do you put them as the kickoff game week one? No. Hell, do you even have the game in Kansas City? <laughs> no. What do you do? You put the game in Germany. And I understand, and I'm not going to be able to change the NFL's mind with the games in with the games in Europe and this morphed idea that they have that the NFL is some big time product in Europe in, in in Europe and it's a life changing experience watching an NFL game in Europe, especially in Germany. I'm not going to be able to talk the NFL off that ledge. You know my opinions on it. It's not going to change. It's ne it is never ever going to change. But you're going to have to. But you're going to have a hard time explaining me and giving the NFL benefit of the doubt of putting a game with all of those juicy storylines that the fans on both sides and the media will eat up for a week and the players involved too. If there's any trash talk going on leading up leading up during the week of the game. You're going to have a hard time explaining to me and selling to me if you're the National Football League. And if you want to say, listen, AFC's turn to have the extra home, extra home game, no worries with COVID, let's put our best player and the Super Bowl and the defending Super Bowl champions out, out there on the Europe spotlight to grow the team and grow the player's brand and all this nonsense. You want to explain to me that? Fine. What you do... You put the game against the Lions in Europe. You put the game they play against the Bears in Europe. You put the game they play against the Raiders in Europe. If there was any game that if I was Clark Hunt or anybody in the Chiefs organization, you say, okay, fine. You want to put us in Europe for your reasons? Whatever. Here's all I ask. The, 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 the Charger game, the Bronco game, the Bengals game, the Bills game, the Eagles game, and the Dolphins game. We have nine home games. You have three to pick to put in Europe. Six out of the nine are right here because those are big, high-profile games against high-profile teams and or and against high-profile uh, teams and high-profile players on that team. No, no. Big game. National TV, no, and the Dolphins and that Dolphins game week nine, uh, to me, my eyes would have been perfect for a Monday night or a Thursday night football game. You know what the Thursday night football game is instead, ladies and gentlemen, week nine, Titans Steelers. You want to know what the, uh, you want to know what the, uh, with what the uh, well, the Sunday night game actually that week is good, as is the Monday night game. But the Thursday night game that week, you know what it is? Titan Steelers. Titan Steelers.
That's a better third. That uh, Bronc Dolphins and Chiefs is a better Thursday night game than Titans Steelers. Better quarterbacks, better teams, better playmakers on the offense side of the ball, both sides. It's a better game. Better game, and you know it'll it'll draw a bigger rating. Better game. And instead, not only the NFL not put that it's a kickoff game, they put the game in freaking Germany. I mean, again, you have the Bears game, the Raiders game, and the Lions game. Either of those three you could have put in Germany. Instead, you put the game that arguably has the most juice in terms of it being specifically a Chiefs home game. If the game is in Miami, it, it wouldn't. It, there, there's not as much. There's not as much uh, juice. Game is in Miami, not as much. Game is in Arrowhead, it drives up the interest rate, and 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 the and the. And the Juiciness of the game. It drives it up tenfold. Bengals, Bengals Chiefs is a big time game, whether it's being played at Arrowhead, Cincinnati, or in Canton, Ohio. Buffalo, same thing. It's a big game at Orchard Park, same way it is at Arrowhead. Game against Philadelphia, it's a big game in Philly as it is in Kansas City. Game against the Chargers is big, whether it's in SoFi or at Arrowhead. Game against the Jets. Now that's a road game. It'd be just as big at Arrowhead as it is as it's going to be at MetLife in Jersey. Because a lot of these games that Kansas City has at home are big games, but they'd be just as big if Kansas City was on the road as they are as they are going to be with them being at home. Eagles, you know, big game. Philly, Philly. They're going to be just as into it at the link as they are as they're going to be at Arrowhead. Super Bowl rematch, Super Bowl rematch. <laughs> it's going to be a it's a, going to have a it's big time game with a lot of interest. Rematch of back to back AFC Championship games in Cincy or at Arrowhead. Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, Thanksgiving, uh, Boxing Day <laughs> doesn't matter. It's going to be a big time football game. No matter what, no matter where, you, no matter between the two teams, home you know, home cities. No matter where you play it, time of the day, what time of the year, it's going to be a big time game. Week one in September or in week seventeen in in late December doesn't matter. Large part of why of why that game against the Dolphins is big is because of where at least it was supposed to be played, and that's at Arrowhead, and for the league. To take that opportunity away from the Chief fan, I understand, again, give up the home game because of Europe, money, blah, 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 I get it. But to take that specific game away from them, it's not the, not the right thing to do. Not the right thing to do. And totally gave the finger to the chief to the Chiefs ticket, season ticket holder, the Chiefs fan that goes to the game on a... On a on a uh, on a occasional basis, and gave the finger to us, the football fan. I would have loved to have seen the reaction and seen just the 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 entire sequence from beginning to end of how Tyree Kill being the villain now walking into a building in which he helped the team. One like and again, and the thing that also makes it crazy and makes it big is that one like Tyree Kill was it was a bad Kansas City Chief. 
when it's all said and done, Tiger Kill's going to get his number retired and is going to see his name in the, in the ring of honor. He says he's done play, plan on playing football for too much longer. He's going to go into Canton as a, as a Kansas City Chief. When they do, when they when they're all old and gray, and and in, in twenty twenty five years, and when they do the documentary on the Chiefs dynasty, he's going to be one of the guys that's going to be interviewed. That's going to get the most next to next to Reed, Kelsey, and Mahomes. He's going to get he's going to get a lot of screen time. And he's going to look up there, and he's going to see the championship to the left. He's going to say to himself, "Yeah, I played a part in that." Back-to-back AFC champions. Yeah, I played a part in that. Played in, played in consecutive AFC championship games from 2018 to 21. Yeah, I was a part of that. And to take that away from the Kansas City faithful is, is a crime. You stick the at 9.30 in the morning, no less, which makes it, which makes it 20 times worse. What's going on is... You, not only do you take the game out of Arrowhead and you stick it in Europe, you bury it early in the morning. I understand it's Mahomes and it's the Chiefs, but what about the it's, the football fans got to get up 6.30 in the morning and watch a football game on the West Coast? I mean, that, that, one, that's not the right thing to do. That's quite like we see it. That 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 was that was not the that that is piss poor scheduling from the National Football League, and you and you can't defend it. I I, I again, I understand they had to put Kansas City have them give up a home game and put in Europe. I get it, but to but to give us the Dolphins game, which and which when which that's the only game on their schedule where. Ninety-five percent of the juice and anticipation is because that's a Chiefs scheduled home game, and you take it out to put the game in Germany. That, that's terrible. When again, the Raiders, the, Bra- the Raiders, the Bears, or the Lions. Any of those three games, stick the stick the Lions. I understand West Coast team, or not the West Coast, the Raiders. Raiders, stick them there. Bears, I don't care. Lions, I don't care. But I don't know. That that made zero, zero sense to me. Zero. Um, and then of course with the uh with the rest of the NFL international schedule. As I punch it up right here. Uh listen, I know that the Ravens and the Titans, they make the trip to uh they make the trip to across the pond uh headed uh eastward uh to uh for a game in london matter of fact let me give you these five games right now uh the first one is week four october the first atlanta and jacksonville uh that's an exclusive espn plus game uh bills and jaguars week five the following week uh, that's an NFL Network game. That's a good game. My God, just put the good games uh, between those two teams across. The, that's 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 ridiculous. Um, uh, and then of course you have uh, Ravens, and then you have Ravens and Titans. 
uh, the following week, week six on October the 15th. That's an NFL Network game, is it? Double check. Yeah, that 9.30. And, of course, the aforementioned Dolphins and Chiefs, a game that would be perfect for Thursday night football, Monday night, Sunday night, 4.25 on CBS, and they put the game at 9.30 in the morning on the NFL Network. Uh, it just absolutely ridiculous, man. Just inexcusable, just bonehead scheduling by the National Football League. Just absolutely ridiculous. And then, of course, then the following game, Colts and Patriots, uh, November the twelfth, week ten. That on NFL, uh, that on NFL Network as well. You guys know how I feel about the international games, but there's your schedule. Uh, for those of you that want to bet at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, now, my favorite part, and that's breaking down the uh, national TV schedules on uh, for Sunday night, Monday night, and Thursday night. Uh, let's, let us see uh, the schedule for 23 right here as we will take a look at this. Week 1, uh, you know the game. It's Dallas versus the Giants for roughly the 10 millionth time of my life. Uh, boy, they, uh, uh, boy, you knew as soon as the Giants made the playoffs, man, they were going to hop on the first opportunity they get to give us Dallas and the Giants week one. I mean, I understand they want to put, they want to, I guess they want to put the uh, Jets and the Bills on the Monday night football to give us a good Monday night game right out the gate. Uh, you know, and it being the 22nd year anniversary of 9-11. So I get that. And Kansas City, the kickoff game, so they couldn't put the Chiefs on uh, Sunday night as well. But good gracious alive, man. Week one, uh, and then they, they have the Eagles at uh, 425 against the Patriots on CBS. Uh, so, but, man, Eagle Giants and the if you're a football fan of my, and even if you're just a football fan in general, but I mean, jeez, if I had a nickel for every single time the, the Cowboys and Giants were the week one Sunday night game, I tell you, I have about $50 sitting pretty in my bank account right now, man. The week two game really, really, really is, is it's that's a hard, week two and three are un, are borderline, not unwatchable, but for a Sunday night football game, I don't care if it's, if it's in, September or in December, Dolphins and Patriots and Steelers Vegas on Sunday night back to back weeks. I mean, my, my goodness gracious, NFL! You couldn't give us anything better than that. I mean, let let me read you the Week Ten schedule, or excuse me, the Week Two schedule, right quick. Uh, that they, I mean, they could have. They have Seattle and Detroit, uh, Vegas and Buffalo. Green Bay and Atlanta, the Bengals and the Ravens, Indianapolis and the Colts, who cares? Chiefs at Jackson, Jackson, excuse me, the Chiefs, yeah, I had it right the first time. Chiefs at Jacksonville, Bears and the Bucks, the the, uh, Chargers and the Titans, Arizona and the Giants, San Francisco and the Rams, Washington and Denver, Game of the week that week, Nance and Romo, 425, Jets at Dallas. I mean, you could have, and the Thursday night game that week is Falcons, is uh, Vikings and Eagles, and the Monday night game is a doubleheader between Cleveland and Carolina. 
And that is that. Those are garbage. Week two. That is a that is garbage. Garbage primetime games. But specifically with Sunday night, Dolphins and, and Dolphins and the Patriots at Fox. Really, guys. Really. Dolphins and Patriots. The Patriots who have one active quarterback on their roster, and there's not a single player. What, Juju Smith-Schuster? Who cares? There's not a single player on a New England Patriots roster that that you would want to tune in for during the primetime window to see play. I understand the Dolphins but I with, uh, with Tyree Kill and Tua and Waddle, but that's one team. The when you and when I let me tell you, let me give the NFL word to the wise. If it's getting to the point where you got to go the college basketball route and you got to put teams on television because of who the coach is instead of the actual players that are on that are on the playing that are on the playing field participating and actively playing in the game, it's time for you to stop putting the Patriots on television. Okay, the reason why the Patriots are on television is because of Belichick. I understand a great coach, great coach, greatest football coach of my lifetime and arguably there ever was, but this is the NFL. It's not college basketball. It's not even college football, okay? Those two collegiate sports, the coaches play a, play a big factor into the identity of the team and, 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 and the tune-in factor. The, the 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 intriguing factor of wanting to watch a college football or college basketball game. NFL, albeit we've had the great coaches th- throughout the various generations, it's never been about that. It's been about the players. It, the quarterback specifically, but it's been about the players. And I'm sorry, Mac Jones ain't cutting it 820 second Sunday of the regular season against Tua and the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> That's not, you want to give it to me in 2020? You know the Dolphins were bad, but if you want to give me a twenty, if you want to give it to me last year, because the Dolphins had Tyree Kill, Patriots were a playoff team in twenty twenty one. I live with it. This year, after the substandard season the Patriots had, uh uh-uh. uh, you got to give me better than that. When you cannot give me Patriots and Dolphins Sunday night. And then Panthers and Saints Monday night football. And then in the same breath, stick Ravens and Bengals. Burrow versus Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson coming off his fresh spanking new contract. Rematch of the thrilling playoff game from, from eight months prior. And you bury Ravens and Bengals, which is which is the 2020, which is the Steelers-Ravens uh, version, you know, revamped 2.0 version in the, in the in the form of the 2020s decade. You can, you bury. Honestly, you can't put it at 425 because because of uh, because of uh, Jets and Cowboys. I get it, but and and you have the defending Nash, uh, the defending NFC champions on Thursday night. But you can't give me. Dolphins and Patriots Sunday night football, and then turn around the next night, give me Saints and Panthers, and that offensive, offensive NFC South 
Derek Carr and uh and, and and Derek Carr and Bryce Young God rest God bless his soul. You can't give me that. The, the two things are in the worst division in football, Monday night football, second Monday night of the season, and then Barry Ravens and Bengals, Lamar versus Burrow, week two and the in the one o'clock window. You can't do that. I'm sorry. I know you say I'm being a homer on both the counts, local Baltimorean, and I'm a diehard Bengals fan. But you can't, you Ravens fans, that the test of Bengals would agree with me on this. How, and how come, and you can't sit up and say, well, nobody would care about the game because with back-to-back seasons, Bengals and Ravens and Baltimore, you stick the game on, you stick the game on prime time. 2022, Bengals-Ravens in Baltimore. In October, middle of October, you put the game center. You put the game on Sunday night. This year, you put the game on Thursday night. The Thursday night before Thanksgiving. So you can't sit and say, "Well, nobody cares about Bengals Ravens," because if that was the case, you wouldn't put the games on prime time national TV to begin with anyway. But that's not the case because back to back years, the two games in Baltimore, in Baltimore, they get put on prime time. In a game in, in a game in Cincy, week eighteen, I get it, last season, but this year, week two. This is the first opportunity you've had at Bengals versus Ravens at Paul Brown Stadium with Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson, we hope and we anticipate being on the field at the same time. They've played each other a bunch of times at M&T Bank, Burrow's rookie season in 2020, the game in 21 where Chase went crazy, the Sunday night game, of course, uh, of course, last season that came down to the Tucker field goal. But th- and you guys think, think about it. The playoff game, uh-uh. Week 18, uh-uh. The game when Joe Burrow broke the franchise record for most pass yards in a single game uh, the day after Christmas in 21, uh-uh. The year, the in Burrow's rookie year in 2020, Lamar was on the field, but Burrow had already, he was gone for the season with the ACL injury. This is the first time, the first time we hope, we pray, it's Lamar versus Burrow. The top two quarterbacks in the AFC North that are gunning to be the number two to Kansas City's number one. To challenge them to win the AFC and to go to the Super Bowl. First time we anticipate, we hope, we pray, it's Lamar versus Burrow at Paul Brown Stadium. We've seen it a bunch at MIT Bank, but never in Cincinnati. Never. Lamar's been in the league since 18. Burrow's been in the the league since 20. And never have they been on the same field at the same time playing in the same game in Cincinnati. In the 5-1-3. Until hopefully we get that opportunity to see them in week two. Rematch of a, of a throwing playoff game from eight months prior. And that game gets buried one o'clock on Sunday. When it can just as easily be a Monday night or a Sunday night game. But instead we're subjected to Saints-Panthers on Monday night. Uh, going head-to-head up against Brown Steelers, which is the which is the double-dip game number two. And then, of course, the Sunday night game, Dolphins and, and Patriots. I mean, you must, you must be kidding me, man. You must be kidding me.
Week three, of course, getting off, and I'm getting off the beaten path. Week three, Steelers and Vegas, that much better. I mean, what the hell convinces the NFL on 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 a on a on a day in day out basis that the Raiders are worthy to be put on national television? I mean, these are not your fathers, your grandfathers, Oakland, Los Angeles, now Las Vegas Raiders. What, what Josh McDaniels is a lousy coach. Okay, why? Because why? Because 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 the ladies of the fawn over Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, give me a break. Give me a break. How how can anybody make any sense of the of the loss of the hapless, pathetic, embarrassing Las Vegas? How can anybody make sense of them being on prime time five times this season? Five times. They are on TV more than the Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. And to a lesser degree, the Jacksonville Jaguars. How can anybody make any sense of that? They're on, they are on TV more times than the back-to-back AFC Championship participating Cincinnati Bengals. They're on TV more than Lamar Jackson or Ravens. They're on TV more than Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're on TV more than two in the Dolphins. How can anybody make sense of that? How? On TV five times and have a Sunday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. How can anybody, anybody make sense of that? You want to put them last season because of the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception and uh, and and rest in peace. Uh, and the tribute, of course, to the late great Franco Harris. I get it. I understand it. Week three, Sunday night in Vegas. Who cares? Week four, Kansas City goes to the Jets. Okay, can't complain about that. Week five, Dallas to San Francisco. Can't complain. Jets, or excuse me, Buffalo and the Giants. Unique matchup. Uh, week six, October fifteenth. Can't complain about that. Miami, Philadelphia. I have no qualms about that. Bears and Bears and Chargers. Week eight. I mean, again, with with the love fest of the Chicago Bears being on prime time, especially on Sunday Night Football. Again, while we're at it, why don't we put the Bears open up the season against Kansas City? Why don't we have? I believe they also play on Thanksgiving too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we have them, uh, are they? Let me double check before I go any, before I go, uh, any further. Week 12, are they on Thanksgiving? No, they're not. Well, why, why, why don't we put them on Thanksgiving just for the hell of it? And then why, and then we'll put them on Christmas and, uh, and, and we'll give them, and while we're at it, why don't we make, why don't we also put Chicago on, uh, we put them on Christmas, put them on Thanksgiving and why don't we take the Bengals out and put the Bears in, and we'll have Bears in Kansas City New Year's Eve at Arrowhead with uh, with uh, Tony j- talking our ears off, uh, Jim the great Jim Nance and Tracy Wilson freezing her poor self out there on the sideline in minus twenty degree weather. Why don't we put the Bears against Kansas City New Year's Eve? Put them on Christmas. Put, take the Ravens out, have them play San Francisco, and uh, have them play Christmas or have them play Kansas City uh, on, on Christmas instead of the Raiders. 
or and, and have them play Thanksgiving uh, against against the Lions instead of Green Bay in Detroit, and we'll have them open up the season against Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, they have four primetime games for a team that finished in last place, had the number one pick in the draft, or or a top the one had the top three top three one of the top three uh, picks in the draft. Seriously, seriously. Team that had one of the worst records in the league finished in last place in their division, and they get rewarded with fourth primetime games. And don't give me the stupid argument with the market nonsense, because you want to know how big Buffalo, Kansas City, and Green Bay are. Buffalo, Kansas City is on primetime six times, let alone Green Bay, Wisconsin, with that with the rebuild, re, the rebuilding. Green Bay Packers, Sands and Rodgers is on TV five times. So don't give me the freaking nonsense with the market non with with the market stuff. Well, Chicago big time TV market. Well, Kansas City ain't that big of a TV TV market. Nor is Buffalo, and the Chargers are a blip on the LA sports radar. And they and all three of those teams are on TV six times. All three of them. Shall we continue? Week 9, Buffalo and Cincinnati. I myself personally would have liked that game to be on Monday Night Football to you know kind of give throw ESPN a bone because that was supposed to be a Monday Night game that they didn't get. Of course, with the unfortunate scenarios with DeMar Hamlin, I would have put that game on Monday Night myself, me personally. The Monday Night game Week 9 is uh, Chargers and Jets, which isn't terrible. I would have put Chargers and Jets Sunday Night giving ESPN the bone and and put Bills and Cincinnati in Cincinnati on a Monday night myself, me personally. Week 12, again with the Raiders' foolishness. You, you give us Rodgers, you give us the Jets, but no one wants to see the Raiders. They stink. They're not going to be very good. Jimmy G, who cares? Uh, the Raiders on Sunday night football, uh-uh. Uh, week 11 is not terrible. Uh, Vikings in Denver. Uh, week 12, good game. At least we hope it is. And uh, that, at all tens and purposes, will uh, have a lot of, uh, will hold a lot of water in terms of who will win the NFC West between Seattle and San Francisco. Uh, the week after is a good game as well. No, that's a Thanksgiving game. I apologize. The week 12 Sunday night game is the Ravens and Chargers. That's an excellent football game. Uh, Mahomes at Lambeau would be better if Rodgers was on the other side. Now, granted, they do get Mahomes versus Rodgers in Week Four, but they but they're trying to double dip by having them play Jordan Love. That's not a great game in all intents and purposes, uh, the, especially depending on how poorly uh, the Green Bay will be at that point in time. Will they be the worst team in the sport? No. Will they be in playoff contention? I don't see it. Uh, and they do have they have Forty ers and the Eagles the four twenty five game. Um, could they have gone? I mean, and they have Seahawks Cowboys Thursday night and Bengals Jaguars Monday night. I guess they were kind of that was their next best option. I would have put uh, that'd be a good Monday night game. Sunday night, eh, not really feeling it. Uh, week four, but I can't scream too much because the schedule, you know, really doesn't. I mean, look at the teams that have. I mean, they have the they have the uh, the Ravens, the Vikings, the Bills, and the Giants on off on uh, on bye weeks. 
So, I mean, they're kind of caught between the rock and the hard place. Week 14, Dallas and Philadelphia for the East uh, have no problems with that. Jacksonville and Baltimore, a thrilling game that they played on Thanksgiving weekend last year in Jacksonville, week 15. Uh, sends Collinsworth and the crew down to uh, Florida to get some sun and a little bit of heat. Got no problems with that. That's a good Sunday night game. Uh, now, week 7, I'll give you week 16 in a minute. Week 17, Green Bay and Minnesota, Christmas, or excuse me, New Year's Eve. Uh, we already know that uh, Chiefs and Bengals is off the table. The Thursday night game is the Jets and the Browns, so you couldn't go there. The uh, the Monday night game, the, the Saturday night game uh, is Lions and Cowboys. Um... I myself, me personally, would have went. They got Dolph. They have Dolphins and Ravens right there at their disposal, and she, well, Chiefs Broncos is for Chiefs Broncos is a secondary four twenty five game. Chargers Broncos, I should say. And I don't. Mm, they could have went Chargers Broncos or Ravens Dolphins Sunday night. Packers and Vikings is a weak Sunday night game Christmas Eve. I got to be fair. Uh, and in week 16, the exclusive game on Peacock, which is a joke and another disgrace, the NFL and NBC in cahoots chasing every nickel, every buck, you know, putting a Sunday night, putting an ads on a Saturday. Uh, it's on a Saturday, a Saturday before Christmas, but putting the game on Peacock instead of regular over-the-air NBC as a joke, as a disgrace. I mean, where are they going to put Saturday night at uh, sat on Saturday night NBC on uh, the 23rd of December? What? Uh, uh, another Mariah Carey Christmas special? I mean, who the hell cares? My goodness gracious. They put Bengals and Steelers earlier that day, 4.30 on NBC, and put that and put Buffalo and the Chargers, which I got to be fair in all honesty and all objectivity, is a better game than Bengals-Pittsburgh. Than Bengals Pittsburgh. And you put it exclusively on Peacock to get people to buy that dopey subscription service because nobody's, because, you know, you don't have enough subscriptions with the people that are in love with the office, in love with Law and & Order, and or to try to get back the subscriptions that you lost because nobody was waking up at 11.30 in the morning to watch, to watch uh, you know, White Sox and Guardians at 11.30 on a Sunday. A joke. But, um, but you know, that's your, what you going to do. And it's bad enough they're also putting a, a playoff game on there, which is this, which is just as despicable, if not worse. Uh, but your Sunday night schedule, matter of fact, and I read you uh, the grades because I went through and I graded, um, and I went through and I graded uh, the prime time, uh, the prime time uh, schedules. When they came out on Twitter back in May, and I'm gonna go into my uh, vault of tweets and see if I can uh, if I can find my grades because I'll just reiterate them. Uh, I'll uh, reiterate them for you uh, here, right here, right now. Um, uh, Sunday night. Weeks elite games weeks one four through seven nine twelve fourteen fifteen Bills Chargers are your elite games the Raiders pack the Raiders 
Packers, Bears, and Patriots have no list, have no be, have no business being on Sunday Night Football. Grade I give it B minus. And I told you they got a couple of prime opportunities. I mean, Dolphins and Ravens be a good Sunday Night game, and they give you Packers and Vikings Week Seventeen. I mean that that that's a week, and that is a week 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 game to to ring in the new year, man. I'm sorry, my goodness gracious. Uh, the Monday night schedule, let's break it down. Let's go through it. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, let me give it, okay. So week one, uh, Bills and Jets, great game. Week two, Saints and Panthers and Browns and Steelers. And that, that's not great. That's D plus, that's D plus C minus to me. Nice. Week three, not that much better. I understand. Yes, you have the t- the two previous Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl losers in the in the uh, in the window with the Eagles and the Bengals, but they play bad opponents. The Bucks will stink this season, and the Rams not too far behind. The rematch of Super Bowl Fifty Six in Cincinnati, uh, which does not which does not get the ABC Joe Buck treatment. Instead, they will go down to Tampa for uh, for uh, Baker Mayfield and the uh, for Baker Mayfield and the Bucks to take on uh, to take on Philadelphia. Week three, not a not a great uh, Monday night schedule, even with my team involved. Uh, week four uh, in London, uh, so we won't count that. Week four in London with uh, week four in London. That's the London game. The day after, Seahawks and Giants is not terrible uh, at the Meadowlands. Uh, week five, uh, Packers and Raiders, bad game. Uh, the following week, Cowboys and uh, and uh, Chargers, good game. Week seven, not a bad game, 49ers and Vikings. The week after, Raiders and Lions, bad game. Uh, week six, Chargers and Jets, excellent game. Week ten, Good game if the if the Broncos show up this season. Broncos and Bills uh, up at Orchard Park week ten, week eleven. Uh, Eagles and four Eagles and uh, and Chiefs excellent game. Following week is a dud. Bears and Vikings who cares? Great game December the fourth week thirteen. Bengals and Jaguars, uh, and then the your double headed games the Titans and the Dolphins bad game. Packers and Giants not great either. Week 15, though, uh, not good either. Chiefs and Patriots. Week 16 on uh, on Christmas night, the Ravens and the 49ers is an excellent, excellent football game. Week 17, not terrible. Uh, Lions and uh, Lions and uh, Cowboys with the Week 18 Saturday doubleheader that I can't stand to be announced. So elite games for Monday night, you have weeks 1, 4, 6, and 7 back-to-back, 9, 11, 13, 16, and then week 16 and 17 are your good games. A lot, I said in my tweet, a lot of bangers, hella skips. Great, I gave it was a C. The Bears, Saints, Panthers, Packers, Titans, Bucks, and Raiders have zero business being on Monday night football. None. We go to Thursday night. Uh, go to Thursday night. Let me see. 
Uh, let's see. Week week two, Vikings and Eagles. Oh, eh, or it's not a bad game. Week three, Giants and San Francisco. Not a bad game. Week four, and eh, for Thursday night standards, Lions and Packers. Not terrible. Why we felt the need to run back Washington and the Bears with the god-awful crap they subjected America to last year, I have absolutely no idea. Broncos and Chiefs should be a good game. If the Broncos on the game, maybe they'll win an arrowhead for a change. Uh, Jags and Saints, not a good football game. Uh, average at best to be kind. Uh, Bucks and Bills, not a good game either. Uh, okay, Thursday night standards, but not a good game either. Week 9, Titans and Steelers, uh-uh. Week 10, Panthers and Bron- Panthers and Bears pass. The best Thursday night game on the schedule, uh, Bengals and uh, Ravens. Week 11, I will be there in the building, okay? Uh, week 11 before Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, Cowboys and Seahawks, good game. Week 14, take a pa- uh, pass with that one. Uh, Patriots and Steelers. Week 15, not that much better, although you do have Herbert there in Vegas to play the Raiders. Week 16, a complete snooze fest. Uh, Saints and Rams, oh my God. And then week 17, Jets with Rodgers against uh, against the uh, Cleveland Browns, week 17. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of snooze fest. Your elite games, not as many. Weeks two and three, back to back, eleven and thirteen. That's it. The rest trash, average at best. The grade I gave it C plus C minus. And I'll be generous and keep it at a C minus. Uh, your your four twenty five games. Uh, look, let me go through them right here. Uh, with CBS. Uh, just take me a minute to punch them up here. NFL. On uh, CBS 425 games. Let's see. Because uh, they should be A-OK. All right. Because um, you know you have, and you know you have uh, Cincinnati and uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City on uh, New Year's Eve. You know you have, uh, you know you have, uh, the Jets and the Cowboys, week two. Um, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see if I can find them. You also have, uh, can I find them now all of a sudden? This is, I just ha- I had them. Where are they? Where are they? Where are they? Okay. Feature 425 game CBS. You have uh, week one, Eagles and Patriots, not a great game. Week two, excellent game. Jets, uh, Jets, Cowboys for sure. Uh, week, f- what does that say? Week five, it looks like it says. Can't read the uh, the graphic too well. Uh, Chiefs and Vikings, not a terrible 425 game. Week seven, Chargers and Chiefs off the charts. Uh, you also have Bengals and San Francisco, October 29th off the charts. Week 11, November 19th, Jets and Bills off the charts. Following week, week 12, Bills and Eagles, November 26th, off the charts. Week 14, great game, Bills-Chiefs, December 10th. And in week 17, New Year's Eve, Bills and Chiefs, uh, December 31st. Uh, And then Fox, let me see. By the way, Cincinnati, they only have, 
You look at their schedule. They only have my Bengals. They only have two 425s. They play in the 4 o'clock hour only three times or four, if you include the Steelers game. That's uh, more so standalone. But uh, they only have two 425 games of the week, Kansas City and San Francisco. That's it. Because they luck out in having to play the NFC, or excuse me, the AFC South uh, this season and the NFC West, they got a good, they got a good, a decent amount of one o'clock games. More so is because of the fact they play the AFC South, the Titans, the Texans, Colts, a lot of one, one o'clock games because they have those opponents. Uh, they're on prime time. Uh, they are on prime time. Uh, four times my Bengals are one Sunday night game, two Monday night games, one Thursday night game, two 425 games on CBS and NBC Saturday game, grand total of seven nationally televised games. You know, I would have swapped. I would have put the Rams game on Thursday night. Uh, rather than I would have put the Rams game on Thursday night and I would have put the game against the Buffalo on Monday night football. I would have put the game against the Bengals on Sunday night football. And first look at the schedule. You know, they have, they have the Bengals have the Browns, the Ravens, the Rams, the Titans, the Cardinals, the Seahawks heading into the week seven by no excuse why the Bengals can't be best case scenario six and oh. No worse than five and one heading into back to back gauntlets week eight and week nine against San Francisco and Buffalo, and in week ten against the Texans, week eleven and twelve against rough patch weeks eleven through thirteen Ravens, Steelers, and uh, and the Jaguars, and in week fourteen against the Colts, winnable game winnable games weeks fifteen and sixteen against the Vikings and Steelers, and seventeen against Kansas City, and in eighteen against. This schedule compared to last year is child's play. No excuse why the Bengals can't start out the season strong and uh and lock and lock up the number one seed. And because of how simple the Bengals schedule is to begin the season and how quite frankly easy it is this year compared to last year, there's no margin for error when it comes to, you know, with the 0 and 2 starts, the 1 and 1 starts being 2 and 3, 3 and 3, 2 and 2 in the middle of October. With the, you know, there's still plenty of season left in front of us. Don't panic this, that, the, uh uh-uh. uh. With, with this, compared to the way, to, um, compared to how their schedule was last year, outside of Buffalo, the Chiefs, and the non-divisional opponents outside of Buffalo, Kansas City, and San Francisco. Rest of this is it. It's it, it. It should be highlight. Should be a walk in the park for Cincinnati. Those three opponents and the six divisional games. That so you do the math. That's nine games. That's eight that the Bengals should have. I understand Jaguars, you know, that's the game they could lose Monday night. I get that. But that's a guaranteed seven seven to nine wins right there without even thinking about it. That's seven to nine wins right there. They got the Cardinals, the Rams, the Texans, the Colts, and the Titans. That's three. That's, that's five wins right there. On top of at minimum two divisional wins, that's 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 uh, that's seven. 
And then the Jaguars, the Chiefs, the Bills, and the 49ers. No reason and no excuse why this team can't begin the season. Can't begin the season undefeated or be no worse than 4-2, and 5-1. And, and that, quite frankly, call me, you know, having too high of a standards, being impossible to please, say whatever you want. Anything less than 5-1, 6-0 heading into the bye, I, I, I wouldn't be feeling too great about things. Or I shouldn't say that. I, I'd, be a, I'd have a lot of questions for them. It would be a better way to phrase it. No excuse and no reason why they can't be 6-1 and one heading into the, excuse me, 6-0, and 5-1 oh, and one at the worst heading into the bye. Because w- weeks 1 through 6, that's winnable games. I understand the Ravens. I understand Cleveland. But those are those are winnable, winnable games. Winnable games. Rams game has a blowout all over it. So I don't care if Aaron Donald play. Uh, you can Aaron Donald, Deacon Jones, fearsome foursome with Jack Youngblood, Marilyn Olsen. I could care freaking less. They, they, no excuse why they can't beat the piss out of the Rams. Surely just on pure motivation of the Super Bowl loss alone. No excuse why the Bengals can't start the season 6-0. Again, this season compared to last year's, this schedule compared to last year, walk in the park. Walk in the park. And the Thursday night game, you know, it is what it is. Let me see if I can find that, uh, that Fox uh, schedule for you. Um, in terms of uh, the get, in terms of their uh, elite games for the twenty three uh, for the twenty three season, that's twenty two. I don't want twenty two. I want uh, I want twenty three. So let's go through. And I don't want to have to go by uh, week by week. But if that's what they will make me do, then I will for certain. Uh, then I will for certain uh, do that. So let's go by week by week. Uh, let's see. So you, and both networks have the 425 for week one and week 18, okay? So week one, the quote-unquote game of the week for Fox that week is the Bears and the Packers, which is not in all intents and purposes a riveting football game to sink, to sink your teeth into if you're uh, if you're uh, Kevin Burkhart and um, and uh, Greg Olson, uh, week three, their four twenty five game of the week is not is not a bad one. Bears in Kansas City. Uh, do they have one the following week? Uh, four twenty five. Yes, they do. Uh, New England at Dallas, which is not a great game, and then the other one is San Francisco. And uh, which is San Francisco and uh, and the Cardinals. Uh, we uh, October the eighth. They don't have it. They do have it though. Um, the week of uh, October the fifteenth, Jets and Philly. So that's a great game. The following week uh, is CBS's turn. So we'll go to the 29th. The 29th is CBS. So that so back so from no, the CBS. So Fox does not have the 425 game of the week from November 15th. That's the last time they have it 
until, uh, or excuse me, October 15th until November the 5th. And the game that week for them is Dallas at is Dallas at Philadelphia. Week 12, they have it. Uh, and it's Giants at Dallas, 425. Uh, November the 19th, CBS has it. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend, CBS has that one again. So November, excuse me, so December the 3rd, 425 game of the week for them, San Francisco, Philadelphia. That's a good game. Uh, and Fox, if you've noticed, gets screwed because the NFC is the inferior conference with nowhere near the amount of level of uh, top-tier teams. It's not deep with a whole lot of elite uh, teams compared to the AFC. Fox is 425, Dallas at Buffalo. That's a good game. Uh, and then uh, they get Christmas Eve, they get the 425 game, Dallas at Miami, which is an intriguing game Christmas Eve as well. And then they have week 7, and then they have week 18 to be announced. So with what they have, they don't have a as bad of a 425 schedule as you would think. As you would think, but I mean, listen. When you, when your top two teams are the Eagles, Cowboys, and San Francisco, it gives you it has just slim pickings for uh, it had it leaves just slim pickings for uh, your uh, for your selection for your four twenty five games of the week. Your Thanksgiving schedule. Let's give it to you right quick. Uh, the, and then I also want to sound off on the Rams, uh, or in specifically with the Staffords that continue to rake my damn nerves. Uh, let's give you the schedule on New Year's. No, not New Year's. Let's go Christmas. Thanksgiving Lions and Packers. Not a great can can be a good game. Has potential to be, but on the surface, not a not a good game. Commanders and Cowboys, CBS. CBS and the Cowboys is an is an automatic thirty million a year, especially on Thanksgiving. Well, the Commanders, hmm, that could be a good game. Commanders when he, when the last time uh, the NFL put the uh, put Washington at Dallas on Thanksgiving Day in the COVID year of 2020, they beat the piss out of them. So I would anticipate a better game. And then Seahawks and 49ers, not a terrible Thanksgiving schedule. The grade I give it would be along the lines of a B minus. Generous give it a B minus. Week 16. Uh, let's see. The, the they have a lot because Christmas Eve now is on a Sunday this year. You got a lot of games on a Christmas Eve with a game on Saturday, and of course the Thursday night game being Saints Rams. Uh-uh. Your Christmas games on that Monday: Raiders and Chiefs. CBS bad game. The Chiefs always beat the piss out of the Raiders, especially at Arrowhead. Uh, Giants and Eagles four thirty on Fox. Not a bad game, but again, we saw what happened in the playoffs. That game could get ugly quick. Uh, so unless you love the NBA, you're better off putting a Christmas movie on at that time, 4.30 that Monday afternoon on Christmas. And then the Monday night game is a, just a beautiful, beautiful game. 
uh, albeit hopefully that hopefully by Christmas both teams will be out of the will be off the injured reserve and will be out of the infirmary and will be healthy and round to go and looking to make some headway in terms of taking a playoffs and clinching a playoff spot that night. Ravens and 49ers exclusively on ABC because ESPN all is, has to air the their basketball games on on ESPN at night, Chris on uh, Christmas. So that Monday night game will be exclusively on ABC, like it was back in the old days. A few old heads out there, Ravens and 49ers on Monday night football on Christmas, which is not which is a good game. Week 16 schedule, I give that a C plus. I actually think that the Thanksgiving schedule as a whole is is slightly better than the uh than the uh than the Christmas schedule. New Year's Eve, everybody plays New Year's Eve. Uh everybody plays New Year's Eve week seventeen. Uh what's the and there is and because of the fact you got ESPN has the schedule conflictions with the college football playoff uh semifinal games they can't have the Monday night game be on New Year's Day at night. So so the NFL throws them a bone, and they have the Monday night game a couple days early on the Saturday night, and it's Lions-Cowboys, which uh, is an okay game to, uh, to say the least. So that's your Thanksgiving and your Christmas and your new and with the New Year's Eve game being, of course, highlighted uh, by the Chiefs and the uh, Bengals. Uh, finally, Matthew Stafford. Oh boy. Well, it took a lot, uh, to get that done and get that taken care of with the schedule and break down everything else. Listen, I am what three, I was three months behind and a lot. I know this show's probably going to be like five hours, (laughs) five hours long. Listen, I got a lot of stuff to, uh, to get off my chest and to, uh, and to uncover and unpack and react to. So. It is what it is. Um, uh, first, let me. I came across this earlier this week, and this is something that really, really, really burns my ass. Uh, so let me get this straight. I got to. I got to read. I got to read now. <laughs> I got to read. Kelly Stafford now. Kelly Stafford, and go back on the show's Instagram at Amatel underscore podcast and the show. On uh, Twitter at Amatel underscore it is on uh, the rants that I've done on uh, Kelly Stafford in the past because she doesn't know when to keep her freaking mouth shut and know a place. Let me tell you something right now. I got to listen to Kelly Stafford now air out Matthew Stafford's dirty laundry uh, with learning and knowing how to gel with the with with his Rams teammates, his younger Ram teammates, the Gen Z Ram team. And when I read that, man, I was absolutely freaking flabbergasted first off the idea that he has to, that it's hard for him to gel because uh because no one looks because quote uh his teammates write out of meetings and get out of practice they go to their phones and they don't look up uh and they don't look up at their phones ladies and gentlemen in case you're a little bit unaware okay you thought Matthew Stafford maybe age 10, 15, 20 years. Matthew Stafford's 30. <laughs> he's 35 years old. He's 35 years old. He's not 45 Brady's age. He's not 
at least when he played. 46 now. He's not he the ESP, ESPN, ironically enough, put out on their Instagram their I believe their NFL Instagram account of the ten oldest players in the National Football League. Ladies and gentlemen, Matthew Stafford is not on any is not one through ten. He's not on it. The oldest quarterback in the league is Aaron Rodgers. And now I haven't watched Hard Knocks. Hard Knocks is not, it's lost its luster. It's not the same. Furthermore, I can't take any more of the media love fest uh, uh, with the Jets and the Aaron Rodgers fanboy fan club. I can't take it anymore. I'm stammering and stuttering so bad just just the thought of it. I I just I I I I can't take it. I can't take it. Can't deal with it. Can't tolerate it. Can't put up with it. So if I can avoid the Aaron Rodgers slash New 2023 New York Jets love fest and uh, and 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 love affair parade, I will. So therefore, I don't watch. And I don't tune into Hard Knocks among the fact that the show is just not that good anymore. Just this. You don't show players getting cut, you know, like you used to. They give you nothing. They give you nothing. Nobody says anything fun, anything interesting. There's no, like, all of the things that made Hard Knocks great back in the 2000s no longer exist in 2023. The last great Hard Knocks you had was 2019, and you can single-handedly go up to Antonio Brown and thank him for that. But that's it. Hard, hard, one part, Hard Knocks isn't what it used to be. And then I'm sick of the Jets talk. I heard it ad infinitum from the draft all the way up until the the you know the night before. And the I'm a hear I hear I heard it from draft night, and I'm gonna hear it all the way up until prior to 8:15 on on Monday night, September the 11th. I can't take it anymore. And every single game is going to get dissected and analyzed like, you know, like it's the Super Bowl. And I, I can't, I, don't, I know I'm going to have to deal with it during the regular season, but when I can avoid it in the offseason, I'm avoiding the offseason. I say all that to say this. From the people that have watched Hard Knocks, from the people that have wrote about Hard Knocks, from what I've seen, whether it's Aaron Rodgers going to Nick Games uh, with Sauce Gardner and Sauce Gardner not knowing who the hell Jessica Alba was, it, you remember that back in uh, back in May during the uh, during the Miami Heat series, whether it's hanging out with his buddies going to uh, going to Taylor Swift concerts, going to New York Rangers uh, uh, the playoff hockey games, all swept the garden, whatever it might be. All I know is, is that Aaron Rodgers, I understand that he's also, you know, trying to get himself accommodated and he's brand new to the New York scene. Stafford's been there since, uh, since, since, you know, he, this is his third season, fourth year with the, with the, no, yeah, third season with the team. So I get that. I understand, I understand all that, but still Rodgers is, uh, is four years old, is about four or five years older than Stafford is, and he's having no problems bonding and gelling and, uh, and, 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 uh, and uh, as us church folk call it, fellowshipping with his, with his uh, younger teammates, Sauce Garner, of course, being one of them. Has he has no? I understand. Doesn't have to. He doesn't have to worry about uh, Sauce Gardner. You know, running, running. Uh, you know, and memorizing the third down uh, route street. I understand. He's a corner. I understand all that. But you get the idea. 
He's he's having no problems. And for the people that have watched Hard Knocks and Phenomenon and have studied it, I haven't read it. I have from anybody in the media, Jets fan. I haven't read any anything from anybody on Twitter, Instagram, in 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 the news newspaper. Uh, magazines, heard on radio, or into, I haven't heard anything from anybody that Aaron Rodgers is having a hard time gelling and becoming a part of the team's culture and the makeup of the 2023 squad with their with their uh, younger team members, with especially their uh, 23 draft class, that of Generation Z, my generation. I haven't heard that. And Aaron Rodgers, I understand he has no family. He is unmarried, and he's new to the team. This is Stafford's third year, and he's a father and married, this, that, and the third. But I haven't heard that. And Rodgers is older than Stafford is. And even then, as in case we're a little bit slow on the uptake, guys, the days of the of the grown of the grown adults in their, you know, after 30 you know that are on the other side of 35 being you know not hip and not into the social media uh technology culture with phones and and TikTok and all this other foolishness those are becoming a, those are becoming a thing of the past you know millennials are now in their the millennials are now in their 40s and this social media smartphones all of this this was created for them, and they were at the time the primary target audience and the primary consumers of this. Why am I saying this? Matthew Stafford's thirty-five years old. He's no old man. You want to talk about old? Old are is 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 my parents. Is your parents? Is 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 your friends? Is your friends' parents? Your brother's parents? Your 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 cousin's parents? Your best friend's parents? That's old. That's old. 35 years of age, you're you're one of your right smack dab in the middle of your millennial generation. Maybe not be considered young, but you're not old. You're not old in the ass. You're not old in this. This is what I'm trying to say. You're not old in the sense where you can't wrap your mind around, you know, technology. The difference is that maybe my generation is a little bit too into, you know, into what's going on on the phone and social media than say the millennials and the zennials. I I I will give you that point. But Matthew Stafford, you know, acts like that, you know, he's, you know, walks around and his wife thinks that they're just because that that there are players that share a locker room with Stafford have a two and a zero in front of the year on their birth certificate that all of a sudden the Staffords have become built, have become, have walked into Bill Belichick's generation and Pete Carroll's generation walking around, walk, walking around in their seventies, you know, screaming what in the world happened to, uh, the, the, the rotary phone and, and only and three channels in the TV logging off at, at mid at midnight every single night. With the Star Spangled Banner, oh say can you see, and t- and turning the knob on the Zenith television with no remote control. I mean that's what they make themselves sound like. I mean you're th- you're 35 years old for goodness sakes. That's what that's f- it's 14 years older than I am. You're not that old. 
My goodness gracious. You were 14 when I was in diapers. Trust me, you're not that old. You grew up in the you grew up in the era of MV, of MP3 players, iPods, and CDs. <laughs> you're not as old as you make yourself out to be. My goodness gracious. Brady didn't have that problem, and there's a two-generation gap. Not a one-generation gap, a two-generation gap. There were some players that Brady played in his last few seasons in Tampa that were probably young enough where they could be Brady's kids. He had no problems. New team, and he's older. In his, in his mid-40s, a part of the, the last player of Generation X in the National Football League. At least, I believe he was. One of the last, if not the last. He had no problems. Yet, with Stafford, and all of a sudden, it's a problem. Because he, because he has to find somebody. Because he has to find somebody other than Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush. Cooper Cuff from the throw the football. I mean, seriously. And then Kelly Stafford, once again, sticking her beak where it has no business being. Who the hell asked you what, 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 St what Stafford's problems were with his teammates? It's not your place. That's, it's, not, it's not your place to tell the world what, what, what's, what goes on in the Rams' locker room. It's not your place. And if he told, and if Stafford told you that, I would expect, at least I would, if it was my wife, that some things that I would tell her, especially knowing what I do for a living, I'd say, "Listen, I'm telling you this, but I don't want you going on social media, on some ragamuffin podcast, and opening up your mouth and bumping your gums about about the information I'm telling you right now that goes on at work." Should Steph have a right to tell his wife what goes on at work, as everyone with with a significant other does? Yes, absolutely. But the difference is is that Stafford's line of work is in the public eye, and there's competitive advantages and disadvantages, and and and, and people trying to win championships. It's 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 a it's a gauntlet of competition and people trying to beat up and beat one another to rise to the top and to conquer the ultimate goal and as winning a championship and all that comes with it. And I would think that Kelly Stafford would have enough wherewithal and enough emotional intelligence and self-awareness to say, listen, just because my husband told me that, that doesn't mean that I should be so trigger happy to, to run behind a microphone or to my social media and open up a big fat mouth and say, yeah, basically my husband, you know, can't for, be, can't bond with his younger teammates, and it's the and it's his younger teammates' fault, not his. Because then, as a result, then it gets then it gets out. It makes headlines. It makes news. I gotta waste time and talk about it, you know, when I could be talking about or doing other things. And then on top of it, McVeigh, you know, in between in between, you know, bouncing around uh, Beverly Hills with the fiance is or his wife. Who I, I've lost track at this point. Who cares? But then McVeigh has to, you know, when he's trying to get ready for Geno Smith and the Seahawks, week one got up prepared two weeks, how he's going to make sure that he uh, beats the Seahawks, starts beating the Seahawks in Seattle again. He has to sit up there and take time, call players 
into his office, call closed door meetings, and he's got to play, you know, coach speak verbal gymnastics with members of the media when they go up to him and they say, hey, Sean, is there any validity of uh, the younger players on your roster having a hard time uh, connecting and gelling and and being a co- and working to be a cohesive offensive? Are they getting along with your quarterback that you traded for? Uh, and you and that and you threw Jared Goff under the bus to go. They, are are they having problems getting along and connecting with Matthew Stafford? And McVeigh has to answer that Qu- question upon question, and it has to be. It becomes an unnecessary distraction. Comes an unnecessary distraction. Just, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Again, having, sharing information, that's not the beef that I have. My beef is, why would you say that out loud in public? Even if it's, even if there's, if there's truth and validity to that, it's not your place to, it's not, it's not, it's not your place to say that out loud. Because how, because put yourself in, 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 in those young player shoes, new to LA, most of them new to the franchise, Relatively new on the job, learning how to do this professional athlete NFL thing in the city of Los Angeles, no less. They're learning, trying to figure things out. And if my memory serves me correctly from my middle school health classes, the 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 human brain isn't isn't all the way fully developed till what? I think uh in between the ages of 24 and 27, 28 years of age. So they're not all the way fully mature yet. New to a team, two years removed from winning the Super Bowl. They read things, they say, oh, the Rams really, you know, they'll be a playoff team at best, but nobody expects. Trying to go through all of this. On top of whatever's going on in, the, with, in their personal life, with their family, love life, whatever. And they got to read or hear their friends talk about and mention in a group chat. Or they casually listen to the radio. And they got to sit up and they got to, uh, and they got to sit up here and listen and read quotes and read headlines and listen, you know, that basically hearing, Matthew, hearing Matthew Stafford's inside inner thoughts, you know, that he told his wife and his wife felt, felt the need to tell to the world. Really? I mean, I tell you, man, if I was a Rams player, man, I'd be pissed. And then McVeigh, and then McVeigh has to, has to, has to come behind Kelly Stafford and clean up her mess. How's that fair to him? I 
Now he's got to sit up here and go behind and, 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 and play babysitter and play guidance counselor and clean up the mess. Because Kelly Sarah can't keep her freaking mouth shut. Holy crap. Not your place. Breaking down all the intricacies of how Stafford has a problem approaching them and do they see me as this or that? And here's what they're doing coming in and out of meetings in their free time. Who are you? To, what, what? What? Come on. Where do you get your balls? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? If when they don't come out of the shower, they don't, they're not playing Uno or playing uh, ping pong. Says, quote, but I think nowadays it's really hard to develop all of that because all these young kids, they don't care. Or it's not that they don't care, but they're used to going straight to their phones instead of having some fun with the guys in the locker room. It's different. It's kind of sad. I mean, <laughs> oh my good Gandhi. He said it's so different and so hard to get to know these guys. Had a book printed out, had the equipment guy get a book printed with all their faces and names because it's like I need to know their all of their names. Oh my lord. So none of those players, they don't, I'm not saying that everything that my generation does is perfect and we, you know, aren't necessarily the best when it comes to when we're in a new setting and in a, in a social, I, I will, as a member of Gen Z, I will admit that's not our strong suit. We're, we're way too quick and trigger happy to, to stick our noses. I will admit that. And I am part of that problem. But for Kelly Stafford to add that out and make that public, like like his teammates aren't going to when they see him the next day at practice or in the meeting room or at the massage or at in the lunch that they're not going to feel a certain way and and either say something to him or feel the need to say something to him, but they know that they can't because they a have no leverage with the team and b. They want to in the deepest part where they don't want to talk about and say out loud, but damn it, I'll say it for them. You know good and well there were some players on the Rams that wanted to, that wanted to tell Matthew Stafford and relay the message to his wife. You know good and damn well there were some players on the roster that either wanted to tell Kelly to a face or tell Kelly th through Stafford for Stafford to relay the message, Matthew that is, and tell her this. I don't. Th I don't think. I don't think y'all heard that. I don't. I don't. I do not think y'all heard that. I don't. Travis. I don't think they heard you. Say. Say it. Say it one more time for the people in the back. For Kelly, all the way out west. This is for you.
and know your place too. That 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 really, really, really chapped my ass. Oh my god, did that piss me off? God did that oh makes my skin crawl. Can't stand seeing crap like that. And you know what else I can't stand to see? Joseph Osai out four to six re four to six weeks. High right ankle sprain. <laughs> my God, when it rains with my teens with the injuries, it freaking hurricanes. Oh boy. Well, we head into September. We head into another NFL season, and I hope you all will join me along for the ride. That closes out the month of August installment of the uh, another. It closes out the in August the month of August. And it's installments of the Amatelica TIS podcast. If you're new to the program and like what you heard, please not hesitate to subscribe. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at the J Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at the show on Instagram at Amatelit underscore podcast. The show on Twitter at Amatel underscore ATIS. Hopefully in September I'll learn how to talk as well on a consistent basis. Y'all take care. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.